Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. This week's episode is supported by Cushcore and Nukeproof, and I'm going to be telling you how you can win a prize bundle of awesome gear from both of these great brands in just a minute. I've been riding Cushcore for over two years now, and I love the changes it makes to the way my bike rides. It's more damped, it carries momentum better through rough terrain as it doesn't get held up so much on square edges, and it's got so much more support in the turns. Cushcore really does help you go bigger, corner harder, and ride faster with total confidence. They come in Pro, XC, Plus, and Gravel size, and you can also get the Pro size as a 29-275 mix for your mullet. If the green valves aren't for you, then Cushcore now have a choice of different valve colours too. I've not found insulation too tricky once you watch the video on how to do it, but I do recommend getting one of their B-dropper tyre levers as it makes installing them a more comfortable experience. If you're based in the UK, then you can purchase them directly from Silverfish over at silverfish-uk.com. And if you're elsewhere in the world, then you can check them out at cushcore.com. Nukeproof have had a range of ride wear for a while now, but this year they've given it a massive overhaul and it's going to be launching later this week. As part of the overhaul, they've also been really focused on the environmental side of things, now using Blue Sign approved fabrics and Ecotech certification wherever possible. They're also committed to reduce wastage from previous season's fabric with their dead stock line, which is going to use the offcuts and wastage to create limited runs of products in high-end premium fabrics, which is a great idea. There's three main ranges, the first of which is Outland, which is designed to work well on the bike, but not to look out of place off it. So it's got subtle branding and is perfect for those post-ride beers. Then there's their Blackline range, which is designed to perform all day long in the saddle and includes some really nice jerseys, which are made from a super light Italian fabric with an even lighter back panel, which helps regulate your body temperature by maximising airflow. Finally, there's Blackline Race, and this is what their team riders are going to be riding in. It is designed to be the ultimate gear for athletes performing at the highest level. I'm going to be trying out some of the gear over the coming weeks, so I'll let you know how I get on. If you want to check it out for yourself, then you can keep your eyes on nukeproof.com later this week when they release the full details of the new range. Nukeproof and Cushcore are putting together an awesome prize bundle for you, which will include some awesome products from Nukeproof's extensive range, and Cushcore are going to be giving you a set of inserts of your choice, along with your choice of valve colour and their super helpful bead dropper tyre lever too. To be in with a chance to win this mega prize bundle, all you need to do is to help me out by filling in my 2021 listener survey. Help me find out a little bit more about you and help me improve what I'm doing, and at the same time, you get a chance to win. It'll take a couple of minutes to complete and you can find it by heading to downtimepodcast.com forward slash survey now. You've got until the end of May to get it done. All the links you need are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. Please make sure you're following the podcast on whatever platform you listen. There's probably a button there that says follow or subscribe, so hit that now. It's free and it means you'll get every episode as soon as it drops. If you can't find the button, then you can head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe where I've got links to all the major platforms to help you. I'd also really love it if you can give me a follow on Instagram and Facebook where I'm at Downtime Podcast. It's the best place to keep up to date with what's going on and it's always great to chat to you in the comments and messages there. All right, this week I'm joined by one of the most experienced testers in the industry, Guy Kesteven. Also, thanks to a relaxation in some of the COVID regulations here, we recorded this in person, which was a really nice change. Guy has tested literally thousands of bikes over nearly 25 years now, so there aren't many people who know more about bikes and kit than Guy does. We sat down to chat about Guy's journey into the sport, his career so far, how testing works and where things are heading. Guy has seen a huge amount of change over his career, from bikes that barely work to the amazing machines that we have today, and from the world where print media ruled the day to the days of the internet, social media and YouTube. 
Guy's a great character and we cover all sorts in this wide-ranging conversation. So without further ado, here's Guy Kestevan. Guy Kestevan, welcome to the Downtime Podcast. How's things with you? It's good. It's sunny. The trails are unbelievably dry and fast. And yeah, I'm riding a lot. Excellent. Happy days and we can ride a bit further. Yeah, life is good, huh? Well, yeah, if you kind of do what I do and you don't appreciate it, then you deserve a kick in. Really. True. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a glorious, glorious day. Hopefully we'll get out for a bit is. of a spin after this chat. Yep. Yep. It'll uh, give me an incentive to, for you to actually shut me up talking. And that may be a major <laughs> issue. We'll see how we get on. Let's start the timer now. Yeah. Cool. Let's let's start from the beginning then. Tell us a little bit about like growing up and how bikes came into your life. Uh, started off grocery box, back of my mother's bike, going into town, into the market. Uh, had my own bike. Well, I was having my big brother's bike, which is a bit of an issue, which is why I still struggle with bikes with a short seat post now. So I still haven't grown into those bikes of my childhood, <laughs> which are all like saddle slammed. Uh, yeah, just... I mean, this is like the 70s, early 80s. So I made a crucial error early on. I joined the Cyclist Touring Club. Okay. I went out with old men. I got the acronym wrong. I should have gone BMX. But to be honest, I'm still scared of leaving the ground. I never get that. I'm, I'm terrified as I come into a jump still. I don't get that whole buzz thing. Okay. I don't get... And I've got really bad vertigo. So speed right. rush is a thing for me as well. So, yeah. So it's good now that gravel's a thing because I know where all the tea shops and short cross across farmers' fields are, <laughs> which is proving quite lucrative. But no, from a from a skills point of view, that was a big mistake. So you missed BMX out altogether? I mean, I knew it was happening. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the same way that I knew people who had anthrax on their bags and I was listening to Bloody Boston and Mr. <laughs> Mr. Again, another massive life error, which I've <laughs> made up for since, but not on the BMX front. Uh, okay. So yeah, I was, I was a roadie and then road biking became more and more random and set off across the moors and became rough stuffing. And I'd tried to get my mum to buy a mountain bike, but my sister told her that the handlebars wouldn't fit down the entry. So that didn't happen. And so eventually I went to college, was rowing and yeah, fished a bike out of the canal, Exeter ship canal on a sunny morning when we could see this old bike glinting in the canal. I got a G clamp and a rope, fished it out of the canal. It was an old Peugeot five-speed. It was actually a shopper with a flat bar, Uh but the wheels were so battered, it felt better off-road than on. And then shortly after that, I did my back in uh, because I'm a horrible skinny little runt. So I'm too heavy to be a cox and too light to be a proper rower. So I was always straining at the leash and eventually my back went bang. So I started riding this around the woods instead. And then obviously it fell apart. So I went to the local bike shop. I'd already been working at York Cycle Works. So okay. I knew a bit about, you know, like school job. Yeah. So I knew a bit of mountain bikes back from then. And uh, yeah, so did the bare minimum degree. Uh, most useful skill I came away from university was track standing. Because <laughs> I, I used to give myself as long as a revision break for my finals as it took me to ride around the yard. And in the end, I was doing about 50 minutes track standing and about 10 minutes revising. And so, yeah, you know, just basically worked most of my time in Richard's bikes down in Exeter. Nice. Uh, did get an archaeology degree and then dug holes all over Yorkshire for about three years. Okay. Wore out my wrists uh, and elbows doing that. Yeah. Uh, but still biking a lot, still uh-huh. biking whenever I could. And then uh, I was coming back from... I'd had a rare weekend off and been mountain biking in Dolby with Russ Burton, who's a photographer for MBUK okay. and a rider. And we popped into the archaeological site I was working at and 
he just looked at he just looked at the scene and just looked at me and just went, "So is this really what you do? You spend weeks on end just scratching at the ground like a chicken?" <laughs> and, it, and it was a real light bulb moment because it's genuinely what we were doing. Yeah, we we're moving yeah. an inch off a massive field in East Yorkshire. Uh-huh with a hand trowel, you know, and, and the kudos in archaeology is like the smaller your trowel, the longer you've been digging. So you, you like the really old guys had like a one P on the handle, you know, just to prove that they'd been in it since the sixties. So it's, it, yeah, it's just like, it was a proper light bulb moment and a job came up at Zyro mm-hmm. uh, where he worked for Bike Kit, which was a shop in York owned okay. by Zyro Fisher, who was still wrong kitching is like a proper traditional wholesalers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I worked in, so I started working in the warehouse in Harrogate and I was so knackered from digging. I'd started a physiotherapy course just because I liked the idea of fixing people. I was quite uh-huh. good at it. I was the guy at the back of the transit van trying to repair people enough that they could work once we got to site. <laughs> so I quite got into that. And I'd done, sp- I, the college I've been at at uni, also a sports college. Okay. So I've been into, you know, I'd got fully, you know, we set up Exeter Mountain Bike Club and stuff like that and got fully into it. Uh, you know, in the early 90s when it was all Alloy and East Days and yeah. original suspension forks and that was all dead exciting. Because I was working in a shop, you were seeing all this technology coming through. We were very, very lucky we had a customer who bought everything brand new and used to come up to races in a, with a Merlin with everything out of the NTI catalogue wow. in the back of a Rolls Royce. What? And he's, yeah, genuine, this big silver, whatever, <laughs> you know, silver Rolls Royce and just pop it out the boot. And my mate, little Steve, used to go mental about it. I was like... Mate, have you noticed every time he comes into the shop, you know, and just buys whatever's the latest thing, Rich might even get biscuits or if it's a Saturday, we might even get a fish and chip tea, you know. And this is, that, this is the time to ask him for a ground control tyre because you might actually get it in like trade because Rich is like got a cash full of till. And you're like, that's why it's great that people buy XDR. You know, all these people going, oh, it's stupid. It shouldn't be biting bikes, shouldn't cost that. It was a real lesson right yeah. early on. Yeah. And I think working in retail, it will always be a real lesson. And so we're working in distributorship. Yeah. Because I went from working in the warehouse, which was great, you know, just chucking bales of Panerasa tyres around and all sorts of old stuff. Yeah. To being, I was racing then, racing Nember and stuff like that. So I knew the guys like Brant Richards from the magazines and Steve Bear. Mm-hmm. He like took, you know, he got me first photo in MBUK, racing me tandem with my then girlfriend up at uh, Nanak, I think it was. Yeah. And, uh, so he got some pics and we, we'd done a, fe- I'd done a feature in MBI magazine about mm-hmm. tandems and racing tandems and Emma Guy had done something and in the same feature. So that was kind of the first time I wrote something. Well, it was my mum's dog, I think, wrote that one. So I was still at Zyro and they were a bit wary about, you know, I should be full time at Zyro. They were very, very full on at that time. And then, so I was doing the physiotherapy course on a night. And I was kind of doing the marketing because they knew I knew the magazine guys. Yeah. So I was the one like saying, here's the new Panerasa Duster XC Pro. But I'd say, it's dead good at this, but it's a bit shit at this. And when they were like, you need to send cantilevers in. She might have got this new V-break out. You need to send the latest Diacomp cantilevers in. It's got a plastic adjuster for the spring. I was like, mate, I'm not doing it. We're going to get destroyed <laughs> for this. Because I think they they still had a big issue with a Panerasa hardcore dart in white they'd sent in. Yeah. That Paul Smith on MBK had slammed because it was shit. And I knew this. Sorry, Matt. Sorry, I was you shit. You can swear. All yeah. right. I'll try not to. Uh, but... And so there was this kind of litany of their oh magazines, blah, 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 blah. So, but I, because I knew them, I just chatted on and we did like daft stuff. I'd, you know, if I had to send them NKS pedals, I'd sort of 
photo badly photoshop or whatever the software was then to like make it from a scene from like the new movie pedal star galactica and wrote this terrible uh terrible newsletter called uncle tufty's marketing message because <laughs> i had a mohican at the time because i thought i think they thought i'd appeal to the youth market so i still had a mohican then i did one for about six years but it was, it was fading by then anyway Sorry, I'm rambling on. No, uh, you're okay. So Brant rings up one day and goes, oh, I'm starting a new magazine. Brant was the editor on MBUK. Yeah. And he rings up and goes, oh, I'm starting a new magazine. Do you know anyone who can write a fitness pages for this, this new magazine? He was like, I was like, oh, I've got this mate. He's, do, you know, he, he's doing a physiotherapy course. He does a bit of writing. He went to a physical education college, St. Luke's down in Exeter. And, you know, he does training. He's not very good at it, but, you know, yeah. he knows what he's on about vaguely he's read all the books anyway he was like right tell him he's got till thursday to write three thousand words and put the phone down i was like oh and he rang back like 20 seconds later it's you into your little bastard i was like are you doing it then i was like "Uh, yeah go on then i had no idea to type you know i had to steal a a word processor from my girlfriend's mum uh at the time and again i think that was toby wentworth wrote that for the first issue of fit to ride in mbr Wow. And the the other sideline of that was we, it had to get it had to there was a competition for who got who's sort of part of the magazine got into because it was the launch issue and it was yeah. IPC big magazine publisher we wanted to get into a red top like the Star or the Sun or the Mirror or something with yeah. an article and so I was like right penile numbness was a massive thing and like kind of you know it was when Specialized were doing all the saddles with a cutout in the middle and so. I went, we went for a massive picture of a set of fish and chips with, and the headline was cods in batter and battered cods. And we talked, it was shameless. We talked about like, you know, infections and uh, penile numbness is the lead thing. Yeah. It got in the mirror, I think. So that wow. was it. And then like a couple of issues after that, I think me rabbit, me first rabbit wrote another survivalish survival story where some posh bloke Piers Hearn who from Loaded came up and we pretended to get lost on the moors yeah and then Brant got bored and didn't fancy doing the bike test so I ended up doing the bike test for the third issue where we got a load of super budget bikes and rode the West Highland Way on them which was just hilarious like 50 quid Apollo uh, a Brant Brant's dad's bike out of his shed which we <laughs> pretended we bought second hand a uh, giant Oh, was it a Tarago or something like that? Not quite sure on the giant, but I remember it was James from Raw Marketing, James Lamont. And the line, I think it's the best line I've ever put in a bike test yet. Well, by my standards, I've ever put in. It was all downhill from here. And they ran it as a big caption. It's like, James is riding the giant, but none of the words he is using is peach. (laughs) (laughs) And then we had this, uh, an American Eagle, which had blue tyres. Yeah. Really nicely specced. I think it was about 280 quid. And they got very upset because they didn't win because we kind of went, well, to be honest, if you're on a budget, just buy something second hand and get the kit. And yeah. But I remember I've got this beautiful image of always stuck in my head of Brandt going off the back of the Devil's Staircase down towards Fort William, standing on this Apollo because the brakes had caught fire. <laughs> and he was trying to slow it down. Jeez. And I was laughing so hard. I was the one that crashed. But yeah, that was... <laughs> and after that, I thought, well, it's a bit of pin money. And But that was the point when Zyro found a fax uh okay. from mbr and i got called in about yeah not giving my marketing work the full attention because i wasn't haggling i had we had a weird relationship with money growing up as a my family are all artists okay. and talking about money was quite ignoble and things like that and uh-huh. so yeah me haggling for prices on adverts was never going to happen so uh yeah so yeah, yeah it was suggested 
I went on to do other things. And to be honest, I thought it'd just be pin money while I worked as a building labourer because I was right. quite, you know, working on archaeological sites is mostly just watching nothing happen <laughs> while they dig six metres out of Ripon. Yeah. Uh, so I got quite good at laying concrete pipes and uh, laying, you know, brick laying and stuff like that because otherwise you're just the bloke. I had a decision to make actually when I joined, started doing it because when I started doing archaeology, I had a terribly good received Radio 4 accent. I yeah, sounded lovely. incredibly posh. You know, that's how I naturally talk. <laughs> And I had a 12-inch high pink Mohican or pink and blue stripes. Interesting so, combo. Yeah, interesting combo if you're working on a building site yeah. as the one little twit who can stop their excavation dead for weeks on end. If you go, actually, I think that's a bit of skull, not a bit of pot. Because <laughs> you get people coming up to you go, I think I found a bit of skull. And you just go, mate, if that's a bit of skull, A, that poor bugger has left part of his head is now going to be in a cardboard box in a museum in the middle of nowhere, yeah, you know, div- not where he was buried by all these people who knew where he wanted to be buried. And B, you're not in work for another month while we get a coroner and it's like, oh, that does look like a bit of pot. Yes, it does look like a bit of pot. You dig that trench, I'll come back in, I'll pop that in the side there, everybody's happy. But anyway, sorry, I'm cracking on again. But yeah, and just wrote another feature, wrote another feature on top of that and yeah, kind of snowballed. Just that spiraled. was very early 97, I think, 96 yeah okay so mountain biking was kind of fairly established by that point yeah. in the uk yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Around. yeah it was kind of the heyday really in a lot yeah. of way yeah you had mbi you had mbr you had mbuk uh nember was yeah. a racing series yeah, on yeah. nams yeah. and you know sam's down yeah you know plenty going on yeah loads going on loads yeah. of interesting bikes it was still the kind of angle poise lamp on the back of a bike. Y-frames were big. You know, loads of mad stuff going like Klein Mantras, all that crazy nonsense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was very diverse, I guess. The solutions were very diverse back then to, to the problems, right? Oh, Everyone yeah. was thinking along various different lines as to how to solve full suspension and all of that sort of stuff was... Yeah, there was a lot of different options back then, wasn't there? Yeah, and generally failing to address the key problems. Like yeah. the bikes were really high, really short and had brakes that didn't really work yeah were very unreliable yeah (laughs) so like were you a natural tester were you a natural journalist like where do you think you're where have you had to develop and where was your natural skill i'm not a journalist and that's not just saying that for my car insurance because that goes through the bloody roof (laughs) if you ever tell anyone you're in you're a journalist your insurance is no i've i've rarely done anything that qualifies journalism i just ride bikes and like talking about them and hopefully can speak in a colourful enough way to actually put the person behind the bars and uh-huh. kind of give them an idea. Yeah. I try not to. I mean, sometimes it's paint by numbers because that's all the bike is giving you. Mm-hmm. And it is quite dull. And the best thing about it is it's 100 quid cheaper than that other one that rides the same in the same <laughs> sort of it's competent. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes that's all you've got and that that you know that's a giveaway. But I always try and bring them to life. So I don't know. I think my natural skill is I'm, I've got a horrible memory for trivia. I can't remember phone numbers if you told me it, but I can, you know, I'll remember, like you say, you know, the giant was the only one I couldn't remember the exact spec on. And I yeah, probably okay. could have a good go. Yeah. But I could tell you everything about that ride. You yeah. Know, that's snapshotted all the way through. And, you know, I've got an Excel spreadsheet rattling around in my head of so much old stuff. It's it's useless, I guess, in most <laughs> situations. But that's a, that. I guess that's a skill, and I'm horribly critical. Okay, you know, very self critical, very critical of other things. Uh, and I just like you know, I grew up doing wargaming and stuff like that, right? You know, which again, 
it's quite funny when you when you become a parent yourself you're like going god what would i have thought of that kid who just spent hours writing you know in old school registers because my dad was a teacher uh-huh. about uh, you know different listings of armor thicknesses on different tanks from different wars and then making up war games so that when you rolled your dice 20 that was factored into the you know the angle that the shell from the panther with that muzzle velocity was striking that and you'd worked it all out analytically wow okay you know, i was lost in that for yeah. years and yeah. so the idea of comparative spreadsheeting i already had that yeah and it fascinated me you know i like i like doing that you know my brain is constantly just chattering away it's you know, people say, why don't you like road rides? And I say, it's like leaving a spaniel in a small flat. It's just like, I can't do it. My head just tears myself apart. Really? There's yeah. not enough going on externally no, for you? No, but but on the other hand, when people go, oh, what do you think about your riding? I'm like, well, riding? You know, am I in the right gear? I'm in a pedal stroke. You know, what happens next? Where do we put the wheel? So, and that's even, and I haven't got enough of that going on on the road. Okay. That I'll just get destroyed. My head will just completely vaporise. Yeah. It's quite toxic in there. Yeah. Quite fairly. a lot of the time. So is is, is mountain biking like a, an, an escape for you in a way, like a meditative oh, thing? Yeah, because I can't remember. I think it was on one of your podcasts. Someone was talking about mindfulness. and Maybe. Yeah. And I, I just think mindfulness, whale music. Yeah, yeah. Lotus position, you know, Bit lapping yeah. waves. <laughs> all that kind of nonsense. But anything that just puts you centred in that moment is mindfulness. I was like, ah, oh, I meditate a lot. Yeah. Because I get obsessed about it. And the other interesting thing, now I'm doing, like, people are like, oh, how do you talk about bikes when you're riding them? It's like, I ride so much better because my head's full of the bike and I'm articulating that rather than going, oh, for God's sake, guys, well, don't pull your brake there. Oh, you idiot, that's not the line. Oh, get your knee in. Oh, what are you doing? You know, that's that's the internal monologue that's yeah. going on. So overlay something about head angles and suspension tunes uh, or whether you've taken that space around the shock or not or what happened when you did or why this historically might be interesting or, you know, that's when it kind of, it's, I find it easier in a lot of ways. A lot of my fastest times on tracks or nearly right up there are when I've been chatting. Interesting. And so you, I appear to have a third lung for climbs as well. Yeah, yeah, which is yeah. It's very I've frustrating that. for people. Yeah. Because I can chat away up until the point. And I've been in races where I've been chatting to people, just doing their heads in. And you can see they're on the ragged edge, but then they ride off. And I'm like, oh, well, I can't go any faster. Hmm. Oh, well. <laughs> so I think it is. It's an anatomical freakery, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Very critical, uh, which my wife loves especially when applied to high sided items like the dishwasher and just general behaviour. I mean, you know, I'll pick up a fork and go, why would they do that? Why would you do that with a fork? Why would you, what just doesn't make any sense, you know? Just always analysing stuff. Yeah, wearing, wearing to live with. Wearing for yourself or wearing for others, do you think? Like, how do you get bored of it? I wish I did. That would make me okay. much easier to live with. No, I think, yeah. No, I don't. I can't help myself. Yeah. But I was brought, you know, it was kind of, we were brought up in quite a competitive environment, brother, elder brother and sister, both massively talented. Right. Uh, so I just went for quantity over quality. <laughs> so when it, when I was an archaeologist, I was the one doing 200 barrows a day. I was the one who had to have three wheelbarrows and two wheelbarrow pushers just because I was digging the holes bigger and faster. They never put me near anything important because I just dig straight through it. <laughs> and it's like, but, you know, drainage ditches in Doncaster, oof, yeah. Getting I'm your done. man, sumps. Old old cesspits, yeah. yes, I was king of those. <laughs> and, you know, and again, you know, kind of in a weird way with writing, I guess. And also, you know, that plays in very well with testing because you do have to do a critical mass. 
to yeah. uh, kind of colour that context. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about testing because you've been doing that for what, like 25 years? Nearly more? 25 years. Is it? Chris, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. 97. Yeah. So It'd you've seen early a huge 97. amount of development in the sport, but let, I guess let's take it back to basics. Like what does it make or what makes a good tester? What, in your opinion? Someone who can articulate how a bike rides and if there's a specific technical issue with how that bike rides they can communicate that i guess because you've got to marry those two up because i think uh-huh. just purely technical kind of discussions of a bike are quite dull uh you know you, it's nice to bring some color into it it is entertainment at the end of the day i think i think that's quite well i hope that's important i mean there are you know i don't know i mean different people will like different testers yeah some people will like something over the top and you know, I'm quite flamboyant on my videos and stuff like that, and in my writing as well. And mm-hmm. I love it when other people are, you know, you see some people's phrase and you go, yes, <laughs> yes. I think it was Mike Levy on Pink. I put this on uh, the bespoken word thing I do on Bike Perfect on Wednesday. Uh, Mike Levy, I can't remember. I think it might have been a zero or something. It was like, and the payoff line was like, it's like a tank doing donuts. This bike is tank donuts. It's just like, yes, it makes no sense, but it's just this wonderful image of just like something that's utterly solid, just being used like a toy. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, that's, that's this bike. Yeah. You get to the nub you know, of it in did, a few words. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. He's led into that with the anti squat and the anti dive and the geometry and all that. But the takeaway from that is that this is the vibe this yeah. bike gives you. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, that's what you need to pop. You can't do it with all of them because most of them don't have a character really. I mean, some of the best bikes I've ridden are utterly characterless. Uh-huh. And it's only when you go, still with that guy. This bike must be amazing, actually. But it's so polished and you've had to do so little when you jumped on it that it's kind of almost escaped you because the actual riding experience is quite dull. Okay. Does that make a good bike or a quick bike? I don't know. It depends who you are, doesn't it? Yeah. If it means you can suddenly ride new stuff and you're, you know... And you're able to keep up with your mates now and you haven't had to change your skill set. You haven't had to change the way you ride. You've just got quicker by mm. buying a new bike. Surely that's, to a lot of people, that's yeah. a win. Yeah, yeah. But if that bike's, on contrast to that, if that bike's made all your trails suddenly dull or just gets you to the bottom and you go, all oh, right, I went quick there. I guess it's what you want from riding. Yeah. You know, I've got, I ride two very different bikes at the moment. One's a cold calculated assassin. The pace absolute you know very accurate quite an efficient clipped suspension feel mm-hmm. destroys everything and i've got a cotic flare max with a sid fork on yeah which is just the giddiest idiot ever <laughs> you know it's it, just they're both great to ride or stick 520 mil drop bars on a uh, gravel bike and just hang on for dear life yeah or ride you know like something like and it can be exact you'd think bikes that were very very similar on paper but ride very very differently as well, like I had a massively amount of fun on the Nomad, which I thought would just be pointless for me to ride. But that was an absolute hoot because it was like it was like being in one of those trophy truck videos on the Fox website. We just see him bombing across the desert. It's just wheels everywhere, like a spaniel at full speed. And he just like sat in the middle of this kind of like zen-like calm, just going, ha, 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 ha. But I don't know how long the appeal of that would last. Okay, yeah. Really. Yeah. It's, like, it's like when you get the big, I mean, I'm no gamer, but it's like when you get the big all-destroying gun in a computer game and you go, ha, I'm just going to blow everything up. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm quite bored now. 
Yeah, it loses its. Uh, yeah, I actually quite liked it when while. I had a knife and a pea shooter. Yeah, that acted. Yeah, it was a bit of skill involved. But, and you need and the guess, right sort of trails for that kind yeah, of bike as well. Exactly. Otherwise, they do get a bit dull quite quickly. I suppose. But I won't. What I'll always try and do with a review is put the right bike in the hands of the right people by describing it. Okay. Appropriately, I yeah. guess. Yeah. And it's and it's all an uh, it's all a sort of oh what's ah what they call them not analogs. What am I trying to find? This is the bit you need to cut out, Chris. <laughs> uh, it's all algorithm. Okay. That's it. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. know, that's what my experience brings me really, is yeah. more pieces of the algorithm, I guess. Yeah, talk a bit about that, because you wrote a really interesting article for your bespoken word piece on Bite Perfect about this, like the fact that you've got effectively got an algorithm in your brain from all the years experience. Talk, yeah, talk us through how you feel about that and why it's important. It just, process, it just speeds things up. So, what? yeah, what's in it? Like, well... I've ridden all the maxis. For example, we're talking through a bike. I mean, the example came from, uh, I was asked, I was basically interviewing for Pink Bike. Uh-huh. I think I screwed it up by saying how quickly I could test a bike, which obviously is, you know, I test a lot of bikes and I've been doing it for a long time. So I've distilled it down. Yeah. And the bike in question was a Mondrake uh, June. Uh-huh. And just, I was chatting to Brian Park and he popped the picture up and was like, right, what? Do you test that many bikes a year? Because I, you know, it's no exaggeration. I've tested thousands of bikes right. I, you know to make a living out of this in old money when it was all done on word rate it's 30 40 thousand words a month okay so for 25 years yeah that's a lot and yeah. on mbr and stuff we used to do like 50 bikes in the bike of the year on you know even for uh what mountain bike and mbuk we do 30 odd yeah and then you'd be doing like four bikes in a group test or six bikes in a group test then you'd be doing like three first rides and that's a month yeah you know, so and you're getting so, through them. Yeah, yeah. You, it is a ridiculous amount. And because and you're doing all the group tests as well. So you know all the Maxxis tyres. Yeah. You know all the DT Swiss rims. You know how they feel when they're combined together. Uh-huh. You know that fork. That fork hasn't changed this year, so it's a 36 or something. Yeah. Uh, you know what the one-off handlebar and stem feels like, where, it, where roughly where it pitches, the grips. Yeah, the grips are the grips. Yeah. Uh, I'd ridden the bike the year before. The front end hadn't changed. Uh, you know, XO, SRAM XO with guide brakes, say, yeah, you know exactly what that is bringing to the party. Yeah. And uh, so the only thing that changed was the shock tune and the fact it had gone boost on the back end. Uh-huh. So, and I'd already talked to the guys at Mondrake the year before about the shock tune because I didn't like it previously. And they go, oh, well, we're going to do this anyway. Okay. So I knew it was going to be, I was knowing what to look for there. Yeah. And then, uh, so it's just case, has boost made it stiffer? Yes, it seems to have done. And is that good or and bad? And that's it. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's that's not months of work. That's yeah. realistically, that's five minutes up at Stainburn with an appropriate bike, with your benchmark bike. Yeah. Like, this is a very stiff bike. This is a very slack bike, uh-huh. you know, and you just put it in there. And you learn shortcuts as well. It's like, it's almost impossible to twest, test 15 handlebars back to back on a trail. Yes, you can find the outliers doing that and you will notice a different behind handlebars, but the best mm. way to do it is to go in the, go in the hall uh, stick each handlebar in the rung of a step ladder and twang them upside down, you know, and just twang them. Just, you can feel the different resonance. You can feel the amount of flex in them yeah. and just check them all. Cause you can literally just pick up, you just have the box next to you. Just go, right. Okay. That's twanging that much. Right. Okay. I'll give that a three. We'll call that the baseline. Right. Okay. I'll move that one. Oh, that's much stiffer. Right. I'll call that a one. Yeah. And then you go, Oh, five. And then you go, Oh, actually that three wasn't a three. It's more of a four. And you go through them and then you, you know, You've either gone on the trail before that, or you've gone on the trail afterwards, mm-hmm. or you've given them to mates and gone, and they're like, oh, my wrists really hurt with these. But then you can have other ones where, you know, me and 
me and my sorcerer's apprentice, Jim Bland, have been up freezing conditions up at Stainburn with 2,000 pound hardtails. Same fork, same tyre, same wheel, just going, and same geometry going, why do these, why is one of these so painful over that route there? Yeah. You know, everywhere else, that's the route. You know, they'll, be, they'll generally be in a test ride. There'll be one bit where it really pops. That'll become your focal point. It's like, okay. right, how do we, how do we, I need to explain why that does that there because yeah. that's the essence of this bike. When you boil it all down, the difference between that bike and this bike is the fact that that one goes, ouch, and that one goes, ooh. And in the end, it was the handlebars. Wow. We were literally, I mean, we were there, fingers numb. It was December. <laughs> we were switching, we switched every switch, the wheel, we switched the fork, we switched, you know, the tyres, everything, just because like, well, maybe they're different. Maybe there's, you know, because you do get different batches on forks. Yeah. You can't assume that all forks are the same. Maybe there's not quite as much oil in and it's because it's cold, it's going to spike more. Maybe there's more spaces in this one. Da, 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 da. And she watched everything. The one thing left was the bar and it was just like, rode into the roof, like, ow. Right, now the sonder really hurts and the white's fine and it's just a bar and you just go, Andy, this bar is like, oh, don't talk to me about that bar. I was like, oh, fair enough. Like, yeah, we just didn't have time to change it this year. We've got a new one, but it wasn't going to be ready in time. Wow. It's like, okay, fine. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's princess and peeing at the highest level. Yeah. But I still find that totally fascinating. That's amazing. You know, that's, and it's commercially a nightmare. Because it'd be lovely to be able to just go, yeah, right, they're all this. And you could, you could easily fob it off. <laughs> you know, I'm a reasonably skilled writer and you can smell it as well. It's like if you look and someone's done, you know, their weights are exactly the same as the manufacturer weights. I'm always slightly suspicious. But then, you know, it doesn't take much to go, I'll just move the weight by seven grams and then it'll look like I weighed it myself. <laughs> and, you know, and some people are really honest. Some manufacturers are really honest with their weights. Yeah. And others aren't, you know. So there's, you know, and some people's geometry is way out. You know, when you start measuring actual reach and stuff like that, and it's very easy to get, you know, it's much quicker and easier to just get, oh, well, I presume it's the same. Yeah. Rather than actually measuring it. Yeah. I mean, the guys, yeah, fair credit to the guys on MBR, they're the real eye owners. They check everything. Oh, really? Yeah. And they check the proper rear wheel travel and stuff like that. I thought I had a way of checking the rear wheel travel. It was quite accurate, but, it's n- but they were like, I saw them doing it. I was like, ah, yeah, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because okay. mine, I was just checking it from like rear axle to saddle. It's yeah. just like, yeah, that's not really it. They had a much better way of doing the curve, but then I'm pretty sure Al Muldoon from NBR goes to goes to sleep with a with a bedspread with like you know 1950s and 60s MotoGP <laughs> technical drawings on it. You know that guy is a legend Properly for in. details. And yeah. Seb Start as well. Seb Start I've got. He was the first guy I saw riding in different. I think it was different gloves, like one of each glove uh, when yeah. he's doing a gloves test. Yeah. I was like, yes, someone else who understands it because I'll go out for a ride with like six shoes. Yeah, three left shoes, three right shoes. Because then you're comparing them directly. It's that contrast. Because you've ride a one analogy I'll use. It's like it's like wine tasting. When people go, oh, wine tasting, they spit the wine away. What a waste! It's just like, well, you need to. And it's the same with bike testing. If you drink the whole bottle, if you drink the whole bottle of a ride, you go, that was a really nice ride. Or you're like, ah, it's rubbish on that ride. I feel really sluggish. I mean, head hurts. And that's what you bring from the bike. But if yeah. you've got four bikes and you're just jumping from what, you know, if you set them all up, same tyre pressure, same fork pressure if they've got the same fork, or at least, you know, ballpark yeah. it if they're similar. And you just back to back to back to back to back to back to back. That's where, you know, that's where it's night and day. And it's great putting people on people who don't get, who don't get the chance to ride different bikes. Yeah. Just go, right, ride that, ride this, ride that, ride this, ride that, ride this. And different people will bring different things as well. You know, I work with a team of riders. I think that's very important. Okay. And also I think not working in an office is a real bonus as well. 
because it's you know there tends to be an apex predator who will decide kind of decide what's fashionable and what isn't right and that's a really easy trap to fall into yeah and if they're the more respected tester they'll be the ones going whereas everyone has an equal opinion I mean, there's some people like, of course it does, dear, you know, but they'll be really acute at doing other stuff. Like yeah. I've got a mate who's a restaurateur who used to be, and he's the, ah, oh, he's a nightmare to ride with somewhere is Dave. But on the other hand, he can tell I've had him on different road wheels and the only thing's different is the way that the wheel is laced. And he's, and he's gone, it's a very different wheel, this. I was like, has he had a gel or not? That's normally the giveaway. It's like, oh, I'll make sure he's had a gel. <laughs> make sure it's not just a sugar crush. You go, you go back and you go, oh, okay, that's a lighter gauge spoke. That's why Whoa. he thinks it sucks on the climb. You know, and there are some people with that acuity, which is yeah. amazing. Yeah, and, yeah. and other times I'll give me bike to a, I'll give a bike to my daughter's to ride. And they'll just go, why does it do that? That's stupid. Yeah. And you'll go, yeah, well, it's so it actually pays off here. And the, and the version before they did this and they'll just look at it and just go, no, it's just stupid, dad. It shouldn't do that. And you go, yeah, you're right. Interesting. There's so you, no. It's, it's very easy to get when you're in it as much as we are as testers. Uh-huh. It's very easy to kind of get drawn into the narrative and kind of follow the story along. Yeah. And it's good to just get hoyed out yeah. by your scruff and just get made to look at it. You know, I say to me, you know, my capacity to disappear at my own ass on stuff <laughs> is amazing. Uh, but you know, I've always said to the lads who I ride with, right, just drag me out if you hear me. A, if you hear me whinging about what I'm doing, because it is it's long hours. Yeah, and it's but, it's riding in a way that isn't how you would necessarily choose to ride as well. It's a because you've always got to be to make it to make it work. You've always got to be testing something. Yeah, and that means tubeless tires that don't inflate when you need to get out the door. That means you know, <laughs> it, yeah, wearing different gloves not a big deal. But like suddenly go, oh yeah, I'll put that wheel in. I'll put that wheel, and then you suddenly realise that wheel's got an XD driver. You need an HG on it. I was like, ah, oh, all that doesn't match with that. You know, a number of times I've blown rides or missed rides or something's just collapsed straight away and you get into this perverse thing where you're like halfway down and run the stain burn on a tire you fitted 30 minutes ago and you rip the sidewall out of it and you go yes thank god for that good i've got something to write about this tire now i thought that sidewall was a bit thin i've confirmed it right i've got another wheel in the van let's run back up put that in you know and it, it does turn a lot of things on its head but i always remember reading a feature very early on about some guys who were riding in scotland and they'd gone up there and they didn't like the bike they were riding the weather was crap and they were just moaning just moaning all the way through i was like for god's sake can you imagine how many of the readers would love to have a paid week riding let alone a weekend they're getting paid all the expenses food much beer as they want this is the 90s you know so it was like that yeah it's much tighter than it used than it is now uh sorry much tighter now than it was then yeah there were only a few magazines we were the kings of the world uh uh, yeah, bike shit, yeah, weather shit. Yeah. And you're like, wow, if you're like a welder in Halifax, to go, let alone ride somebody else's bike that you ride into the ground yeah. and get fed for it and get paid for your time doing it, that's like, how can you, you can't complain about this. It's like the golden fleece <laughs> for so many people. If you, if you ever start, you know, feeling like that about it, give up, jog on. Yeah. Time jog to on. on. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I still think, you know, I think about that regularly. It's it's brilliant. You know, even, you know, right to two o'clock last night and editing video, it's like, yeah, well, should be. Got a bloody privilege. And that privilege should pay into how you view your testing. Mm-hmm. You know, the internet is very dangerous because you can write as much as you want about something. And you'll probably write far more than people need to know a lot of the time. But if someone's spent months designing that thing, 
then I feel it's fair to kind of address why they might have designed it like that. Yeah. Or, but I don't know, that might just be me going on an ego trip or I don't know. Do you feel a responsibility in your, in your, in your writing and your reviews, either towards the brands or towards the potential customers? I feel a responsibility towards the brand that I've tried to understand the product as much as possible and see it from the perspective of all the people they think might be writing it and got as much background information. You don't always do it. You do, you know, you're too late asking a question or something uh-huh. like that and you have to kind of work around it. Uh, but at the end of the day, I want to be able to meet everyone who I see on a trail. If they're riding towards me on a new bike, I want to, I'd be gutted if I thought, oh God, they've got one of them because I've soft pedaled on the review. Right. End of the day, that would be a killer. Yeah. If I saw someone riding that product and I and they said, oh, I read your review and you said it was okay, so I bought it. And you're like, you know, I remember when all you had, when your pocket money, you could either get some new jockey wheels or some grease. Yeah. You know, that's, and you've done someone's, and that might, they might put them off mountain biking. Yeah. That's easily. why I'm really passionate about cheap bikes. I think they should be the best of all. Yeah. And also people, when they take their mates mountain biking, don't put them on your old knacker that barely <laughs> works. You you know what's wrong with that. You could ride around it. You've got the skills, the fitness and the knowledge of that, that the gearing doesn't index and that brake drags and that tire will let go at this point. Don't put them on that. Put them on your best bike. If you want a riding buddy or you want your partner to go riding with you, yeah, give them the best possible experience because, God, they're sick of you hearing, hearing you, you enthuse about it and getting carried away about it. So let them be part of it rather than going, why on earth would you enjoy this? <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, it's funny. You go back, you know, you do ride some things and go, it's like, how did texting catch on when it was predictive? And, you know, you had to work through a little key to like three possible answers on every, yeah. how was that? How was texting ever a thing? And that's like going back to riding an early mountain bike. It's like, how on earth did we start? Why on earth was this ever fun? Yeah. This they were pretty bloody horrible. Pretty hard work, weren't yeah. they? The original bikes. But we were, yeah. Giddy as kippers on them. Yeah. Loved them. Yeah. And, and it's great because there's so many people that, that still gives. And it's been nice over lockdown seeing loads of people coming back into biking and seeing that daft yeah. look on their faces. And you're like, yeah. It and I really good, like yeah. introduce, you know, I, I'll, I'll kind of collar people at trail centres. Go, oh, you should come and ride this. And yeah, we'll show you this. And oh, do you know where you are? Nice. You know. Yeah, that's good. It's a good way to approach it for sure. Well, they're you, paying, you know, at the end of the day, they're paying me mortgage. Yeah. Because I've, I've been in another situation where people have been like, Someone goes, oh, you're, you're so-and-so, I think you're great. You know, you've been on the table with someone and they're like, oh, I really love you. And I'll be like, and they'll do the whole diva thing, like to give them the complete brush off. I'm like, mate, that's not good. You know, they read your magazine. Yeah. Which puts money in the magazine who pay, you know, your freelance or your salary, whatever. Yeah. Just be nice. Just damn. Yeah. You know, they're literally, they, they're working hard give you this bloody you know blessed life you know show some dignity show a bit of appreciation mate yeah you know and people go oh you must be bored of talking about bikes no (laughs) no not a thing not a thing yet yeah i think everyone else in this house is that's understandable same at my house (laughs) (laughs) what um have you do people come up to you on the trails quite a lot then and talk about stuff and about bits they've tried or reviews they've read of yours and how it's influenced them. Do you get much of that feedback, I guess? it's to- That's been the best thing about going on YouTube. Okay. Total, total sea change. It's like magazines write 
hundreds and hundreds, millions of words. Literally, I've sunk, I've sent millions of words down the pipe if yeah. you add them up uh, on magazines. And occasionally you'll get a letter back or an email, which made it a bit quicker and you'd maybe respond within a month. But it'd be like one or two a year. Yeah. And you just, you just throwing stuff into the estuary you know it's going down your sewer and out into the big estuary of words and you never see it again uh-huh. but now you you're literally swimming into your own work <laughs> all the time it's bobbing up all around you whether it's loo roll or whatever you know and it's great it's lovely you know yeah. i'm i'm a very needy quite well, i guess sociable uh-huh. gobshite <laughs> uh you know who loves that kind of very attention seeking right quite obviously i stick a camera in my face on a regular basis and go oh, look at me i'm riding a bike i've been doing it for ages you should listen to what i say <laughs> you know how tragic is that really so but no it's amazing i mean often it was people recognizing tilly my dog Okay, that really? was that was the early one. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I tell you, oh, you must be so and so. But yeah, this the difference, you know, people coming up to you at Stain. I mean, you know, we're talking a minute. I am a tiny, vaguely recognisable bacteria in a tiny petri dish here. You know, it's 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 nth degree smaller than a fish in a small pond. You know, but it's yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah, it's weird. It weird Sarah about my wife. Uh-huh. And like there are certain events we go to, like Hard Rock, where I race tandem with my daughter Freya, where we're yep. pretty infamous. Yeah, yeah, well you know, known. Big, yeah. Weirdly, you know, that those two who ride a, a fairly full on enduro on a tandem, you yeah. know, that's quite a recognisable criteria. Stand out for yeah, that. yeah, yeah. We're not, you know, I think it'd be, you know, it's like people, all the pop stars go, oh, I didn't do it for the fame. I hate <laughs> it when I get doorstep. It's like, yeah, you're, big, you're throwing yourself. I mean, like I say, I had a Mohican for seven years. <laughs> Yeah, people are like, oh, I like your beard. That's a bit edgy. It's like, mate, you have no idea about the it. clothes Sarah burned. They're like, oh, wolf fleeces. Oh, that's a bit alternative. It's like, mate, you never saw the full-on Genghis Khan jacket or the goat skin trousers or, you know, the lace-up leather, clogs, whatever. Clogs are chain mail on, yeah. Oh, I kind of wish I'd kept it just to frighten my children. But, you know. Yeah, so I've always been, I've never shied away from that kind of thing. And I like, yeah. and I like to, I'm dead into it. And it, and also it really fuels you, not only fuels your enthusiasm, but it grounds you as well. Okay. Because it's like in the comments of videos, that's where people are asking the questions that matter. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy for you to vanish into what you think the questions are that matter. Yeah. And also build up a massive level of assumption as well that what people yeah. know, you know, and that's really that kind of that's a carpet that rolls up after you if you're not careful yeah. and you stop grinding it you know you need to reassess every time you do a piece of work it's like there's no point talking about you know kinematics and hysteresis and chires if you're talking about 400 quid art tales you need to be reminding people that if the rebound slows says slow on it that means the fork rebounds more slowly not fast because it's perfectly reasonable to to think it's the other way around yeah, like yeah. more rebound yeah you know, actually means it rebounds faster because there's more of it. Yeah. You know, not that there's the rebound is, it's not, you're talking about rebound damping. Don't say rebound damping. If it says anything at all, it's not only a red or a blue dial. Yeah. You know, so you've, you know, you constant. that's, it's easy, really easy to be lazy or just get stuck in a groove where you're like, oh, well, everybody knows about this. Or when you reference old things as well, it's like nobody knows what URT is. You know, unified rear triangle. They probably think it's some new kind of long life milk. Or disease. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's got a nasty case of the URTs. To be fair, I'd rode a lot of bikes with a nasty case of the URTs. Wish it'd been a cream I could have rubbed on them, to be fair. That level, Betty. Oh. But yeah, and yeah, it's just 
but it's been very interesting. I know uh, when Richard Cunningham was on your podcast talking about moving to pink bike yeah. and suddenly just like what you write suddenly being online. And I noticed Seb's gone on pink bike recently and gone, yeah. right, here's what I think. Tell me how I'm wrong. And it's just like, yeah, yeah I saw that. That's that what, good. yeah, it's like, mate, yeah, that's your next level. Yeah. Well done for stepping up to that. Does it, do you think it's changed the way you approach reviewing, having that instantaneous feedback? Uh, mm, no, okay. actually, no. Because if you're doing a proper job, you shouldn't be afraid of it, I guess. I guess and you can't always do a proper job. I mean, I guess what's different is that it used you always used to be the flinch would come from the manufacturers, right? They'd be like, oh, blah, 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 blah. or worse, it would come via the publishers. You know, oh, well, you've said this. I mean, never just to go on the record. Never have I been asked. I mean, this is a whole contentious issue. There, oh, well, some people. It's like anti-vaxxers. Some people will never think that your reviews are as straight as they can be. Yeah, uh, but they are. You know, okay. I can't speak for everyone. I've certainly never worked with anyone who I suspected massively of it. But yeah, I've never changed a review. I mean, I've very nearly lost some good long-standing friendships over right. stuff. You know, because yeah, there's no way. I don't want that. F- no one should ever buy that. I yeah, sorry. How do you how do you deliver something like that then? Because clearly, that's not good news for a brand. No, well, you go deep on the product. And that's where it gets really uneconomical. You know, that's where you've spent 50 hours riding three different forks or five different forks and they've taken you to the Rock d'Azur, mm-hmm. you know, to be on the team truck and ride the Rock d'Azur marathon and taking you to some really nice dinners and stuff like that. And you've just gone, yeah, hasn't made it any lighter, hasn't made it track any better, hasn't stopped that really bad spike. And actually now seeing it in bits, I can kind of understand why. Because, you know, maybe your mechanic said something you shouldn't have done. Oh, no, it doesn't even have that feature. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, it's right. I won't put that in print, but, you know. But that's when it, you know, that's when suddenly you spent 50 hours yeah. riding, workshopping, uh, having people drive up from London or something yeah. to talk you through a product, which means, you know, for 80 quid's worth of words. You know, Bad, yeah. And, you know, that's 50 hours riding. That's not the workshopping. And the fact that your workshop has to have public liability insurance because if they're in there cutting their, cutting a steerer on a new fork to fit and they yeah. slip, theoretically, that's you're on your liable. premises and you're yeah. liable. You know, that's, that's when it, you know, that's the difference between it being professional and a hobby. Yeah. It's not just the fact that I've, you know, I try and test everything that's coming up. And I think that's a trend that's hard at the moment. Because everyone wants everything really quickly and economically. Everyone wants a buyer's guide. Yeah. And you just can't do them. You can't. It's very, very hard to do. You couldn't do a buyer's guide without a, a lot of testing horsepower behind it. Yes. When it's cantilevered off a, a like a big website and stuff like that, or a big magazine or something like that, do goes through a lot of stuff. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. You know, they've probably tested most of them and you can ring around your mates and go, what's this like? But if you're just throwing it together... And you've got to get it together fast. And, you know, that's not kind. That's not kind on the man. It's not fair on the manufacturers. It's not fair on the people reading it, really. Dead easy to do. You know, you could you could fudge something, but you're yeah. always going to. And again, if you're doing that, get out. Yeah, it's not what it's about. You know, it? it's not. I'd, again, I just hate to. I just wouldn't want to meet him. Just some random bloke, you know, meet someone from a mountain bike. Oh, all right, cares about this. What do you think? Like, oh, I mean, you do sometimes meet people where you go, 
oh, I had this bike and I bought this. You know, I go, ooh, that must have been quite a shock because that's a totally different bike. Yeah, I can't get it to feel the same. I'm like going, yeah, well, yeah, that that's you were on a really stiff carbon bike with plus tyres. Or, you, you know, and now you're on a skinny steel bike with like, fairly stiff 29er wheels on you know yeah. that's a totally different dynamic and the suspension's working totally different and and you just gotta go what do i would i have, did i mislead them and then you just have to go look you know i don't know you try and find you know you're in the car park trying to help them find a solution and go oh maybe try this oh, i'll try that you're like, oh shit and you do feel, I feel responsible yeah you know and you like and you go back and you know there are times when you write something and the classic cliche is that the minute you write something that's when it explodes as soon as it's gone to press. Yeah. Internet's a bit better than that because you can just modify it. Yeah. But, you know, and it's all, you know, anything on the internet is a work in progress. Yeah, you can always update. Yeah, you can always yeah. update it or downgrade it or stuff like that. And then you get into that weird loop where you're delighted when something shit comes along <laughs> because there's so much good stuff now. Well, this it's, is it. And I think a lot of people's scepticism over reviews is that everything's a four and a half or a five star. Yeah. And is that just because there's so much good stuff? Like It's, it's, the factor of two things is because things come out incrementally. Right. So if it's better than, if the next thing is better than a four star, if, so if, if, if something was three and a half, yeah. if your basement, if the product, the last product you wrote is three and a half, you write something new, it's four. All right. Okay. Next thing comes on four and a half. Yeah. But then, I mean, you used to get it in group tests quite a lot where you'd, you'd get to the annual fork group test or something like that, or the tire group test. And, You'd write, read all the individual reviews of people who've done them over the year, including some of yours. You know, I'm not pointing yeah, fingers yeah. here because everyone's yeah. ridden this fork and gone, this is amazing. But the truth is, fork technology's moved on. And so all of a sudden, you've got nine forks out of 15. They've got four and a half. <laughs> it's like, ooh, well, statistically, that makes them a three or yeah. a three and a half at tops. Yeah. That's not going to go down well with the manufacturers. So you have to kind of like, right, well, I've just got to justify it. In 120 words, I've got to tell you why kind of explain you just got to hope that people look at the bigger picture and go but you said i bought this fork last week because you said it was a four and a half yeah now it's a three and a half what's or someone on? said it was a four and a half yeah. and that's a three and a half what's going on i mean lights lights a few years back was an absolute classic one i mean literally if i'd have tested lights in subsequent months uh like you know a thousand so, so yeah for a hundred quid like a thousand lumens would have been like Got that right? Yeah, it's a thousand lumens. Yeah, hundred quid, yeah. thousand lumens, just about. Probably won't catch fire. Hundred quid, amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's a four. Yeah. Next month, literally. Oh shit! It's got right. It's got fifteen hundred lumens. Probably won't catch fire. Right. That's that's a four and a half. Obviously, like bloody eighty quid for that spec. That's a five. Oh no, hang on. No, they've added a remote switch now. And you're literally <laughs> going like May, June, July, August. You know, and by the September comes around, it's got to have a remote switch. It's got to be 1,500 quid. There's got to be, you know, it's got to have a battery indicator on it. It was literally that quick. Yeah. You know, again, this is crazy. And suddenly you'll see, you know, sometimes you'll see categories just explode like that. And the other thing that, and when products change that quickly, that's that's where group tests become completely untenable as well. You know, these big old sort of like, we're going to review everything. I mean, yeah, you can't review everything, but you yeah. can cover most things. But, I mean, I've got a lockup garage that used to have all the tyres in because they're only 26-inch tyres. And I had all of them because I built it up over about 10 years, you know. And you just top it up. You just top it up. It's like a, like a coffee pot in an American calf, yeah. you know, just gradually drip in, new product would drip in. But you always had enough to pour out into a group test. 
And then suddenly your wheel size has changed. So you had to do all the 29er ones. And they were quite different wheels. You know, the bloody manufacturers, they didn't just go, oh, well, we'll make the rim bigger. They were like, oh, okay, we'll introduce a new rim profile. We'll do a new hub. And then it went 27.5. And then it went plus. And it went, and suddenly, you've, you know, you've gone from uh, reviewing sort of three fresh wheels over the course of a year and mm. then just reacquainting yourself with the old wheels, uh, you know, which doesn't take long. You just ride a couple of them and go, right, okay, yeah, I remember that. I remember how that DT feels, right? Yeah. That's my benchmark wheel, blah, 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 blah. Right, do the rest. And now you're doing 15 new ones or 12 new ones. And it's the same with tyres. And, of course, because the tyre sits on the wheel, you've got, a, you know, that's, that really buggers your algorithm up. <laughs> and then, and, oh, and it's in a boost frame. So, ah, but is it a boost hub or is it just with like, extra spaces on? And now it's like, and all that. Oh, it's tubeless. Do it, right, okay, that's another thing. Again, well, what tubeless? Do I run an insert? And all of a sudden, and things like that, you know, suddenly. And you're being paid the same as you were in the 90s. That's yeah. one thing that hasn't changed. With all this technology going on, word rate has gone down. That's, that's what's tricky. Right. You know, and word counts have got smaller as well. Yeah. Just because, uh, another, you know, other things, it's harder to give people space as well now because everybody's doing you know the same because in the same way there's so many different ways of putting stuff on media everyone has a launch now everyone has several launches when i started trek had a launch Mm -hmm. specialized had a launch maybe yeah maybe gt as well but trek was the big one and maybe manitou would manitou used to do a nice exotic launch (laughs) me and justin lorette went to hawaii once for three days for manitou wow oh yeah that's all right that was hilarious yeah that's that's a whole other podcast (laughs) just in that one yeah uh but, you know, we went to Trek, me and Steve Bear or Jeff Ward pitch up at Trek. We had 12 days or yeah, probably six days in yeah. the Alps with sun. There's no satellite flashes, there's no digital photography, <laughs> but you had sun. And so you just shoot the shit out of everything. Yeah. You'd ride everything. And Trek would get pictures in the magazine for six months just from that one launch. Nice. You know, for putting in a very nice hotel because Patsy Tully used to, was their marketing manager back then, liked to swim. So it was always a hotel and a really nice lake <laughs> with a really good pool. So you're always well catered for. But, you know, it gave them massive coverage. Yeah. Now, you know, even once it started being like uh, Passport to Soleil, you've got 10 brands doing a launch that week. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, well, I can give you 200 words and quarter of a page. It doesn't cost them any less to yeah. fly you out there. Yeah, yeah. And that's when, you, when you're working freelance, it's just like there's no point in me going. Yeah. You know, and especially if you just had kids as well. There's someone else going, there's no point in you going, hun. <laughs> I've seen the figures from this. And, you know, and also you kind of get a bit old and you think, well, let, let the youngs go and have a treat. You know, let them go and have the free food and the free beer because actually it's way more efficient if I just ride this around local trails I already know. Yeah. But, oh, that cheeses me. That's, a, that's one I'll throw in. It cheeses me off and people go, well, I've only ridden this on this trail, so I don't really know how it works. It's like, come on. You'd be doing this long enough. It does not take long. You see that caveat quite a lot. A lot. First ride reviews, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. I guess it's them just saying they haven't had that long on it, which is... Yeah, but you can tell a lot. You can yeah. tell a lot just by grabbing the handlebar on some bikes. I think I chatted to you off before about, yeah. you know, sometimes you just put your hand on a bike and just go, you can feel a resonance. I mean, like, there are going to be some howler comments on this, me saying this, but you can, <laughs> you know, you just get, you put your hand on it, you just go, ooh, okay, that feels good. Or, ooh, you know, you'd be carrying a bike before you've even, like, taken it out and ridden it in the front tyre or scuffed the door and you're like, oh, I thought that carcass felt a bit like that as I was putting it on. And then when you start riding, you're like, nah. But then you've got to go, right, okay, right, you've got a preconception there. 
try not to have a preconception. Because yeah. as, as much as you're working with an algorithm, try not to take a preconception into it. You know, don't, you know, there's, there's the whole, do you, don't you look at price? Do you, don't you look at other people's reviews? Because all of that can kind of skew stuff up. I mean, sometimes it's a, it's a shortcut. It's a necessary shortcut if you're really up against it. And, and also it's terrifying. If you're the first person going out and stating something on a bike, that's really, I mean, I think that's why a lot of people don't want to commit straight away. Right. Okay. But then now there's this massive pressure to commit straight away, to be the first one. Yeah. Everyone wants to First one on the SEO. First one. Yeah. Oh, well, I want a review. And we used to go out to do Inter, we had to go to Interbike. We used to fly out early. And uh, which is they used to do outdoor demo, which is two days. Yeah. But all the uh, all the brands would set up for the two days beforehand. So we got into the habit of flying out early uh-huh. and just arranging with the brands to steal the bikes day and night. Basically, we'd use the slot before the official demo was open on right. the second two days, but also the two days before. And we'd literally like people would be pulling into car parks at the hotels and we'd go right, and we'd know, we'd have chatted to them before and be like, well, that one, that one, that one, that one. And we go out, and because that meant they had their bikes when they needed them for their dealers. Yeah. But we did twenty-seven bikes in four days. Whoa, that was that's pretty exhausting. That's full on. And that's in forty degrees heat. <laughs> you know, dod- literally dodging rattlesnakes and tortoises <laughs> coming into the hotel at night. There's a big tarantula, Mister Tarantula, who lived in uh, who lived in the car park of this one hotel we used to stay in Boulder Canyon. Yeah, me and Mc- Rick McLaughlin, who does the commentary yeah. for uh, EWS. We, we were good friends and Rob Weaver and Russ Burton were good friends of Mr. Tarantula. And we get people out, you know, we get Cal Jelly came out and Al Rafferty and stuff and they come and ride. And we just ride ourselves into the ground. We used to call it the on it till you vomit sessions. Because <laughs> there was this one, there was the last corner just by the side of the uh, drag road that came up from the sort of compound where yeah. the sun hit last. And there's these beautiful berms. Uh, sorry, a bit the minor. And these beautiful berms where the dust would come up and it looked amazing. And we would just be sprinting, trying to get the last shots, just like properly dry heaving. You've had about seven litres of water. You're just beyond gone. Whoa. And there was this one, there was this one to comp- I think it happened. There was one completely trippy one where there was, there was this last practicing yoga. I think she was on top of the Santa Cruz old school bus. Yeah. Like doing sort of amazing kind of Ibiza, Ibiza sunsetter album cover yoga <laughs> on the top of this. And we're just like literally just like sprinting back. Me, Doddy, I think it was, Cal Jelly, just sprinting, just like properly. Like, <laughs> and then like, oh, what did I do wrong last time? Did I pull the wrong face? Did I stick my elbow too high? I'll just like, just going again and again and again. I just had this, but that's great. That frenzied activity is great. Yeah. You know, that's, I mean, Christ, I'm, I'm, I'm old now. I forgot my gloves yesterday. I uh, forgot one glove and I've got Giro Cycling UK as my sponsor at the moment. And I forgot one. So I wrote Giro on my hand in Biro <laughs> with a pen I had in the glove box. And it was really scary because I've got old, I suddenly realised I had really old man's skin because I was writing with the Biro. And it was like, oh, that's proper nursing home skin. It's like old crepe paper. It's like, but I love the fact, you know, I'm sitting here now, you know, I'm quite flushed thinking about that photo session and just riding yesterday. And I just, you know, God knows what I'm doing next, but I've, I still want to be doing something that, puts that in me pencil yeah really always buzzing off it yeah because yeah. why why wouldn't you yeah well, what so what drove you into starting your own youtube channel then because that's the kind of uh, the newest phase of your work I yeah because uh, that monologue was already going on in my head okay you know so why not put it out there? yeah why not put it out there i got a really cheap gopro and the first one i did it's tragic because that's the one that's been watched most is the original santa cruz chameleon one okay and i got the bike 
and uh, John C needed to get it to Andy Kiffin at Northwest Bikes. John C's from Santa Cruz, and I, he had to pick it up at eight o'clock from Stainburn Car Park. So right. I got up there at six in the morning because it was like before the release date. Because I had the bike and suddenly went, oh, do you know what? I've been thinking about doing this. I've been mucking about with the GoPro a bit, recording me. I've been chatting with the MBUK. I was still at MBUK at the time. Yeah. I've been chatting about that and I'd done some stuff and they were like, yeah, well, you could do this, you could do that. And, uh, you know, but when you do that, could you do this? And could you do this? Could you get a shot of this? I was like, hang on, this is free. I'm, you know, this is extra time I'm spending. But anyway, long story short, I'm in the van, six o'clock in the morning. Uh, and my mum, bless her, she buys me the most random Christmas present. She bought me, I think it's a computer mouse, but anyway, it's a light up resin chameleon. <laughs> right. Which just like traffic light colours. <laughs> so I just, I had the stats, I'd like the price and the sort of essential stats written on a, a bathroom shelf, which happened to be the same green colour. So I was like, totally amateur. I leaned up in front of it, right? Because yeah. I didn't know how to do captions on uh, on iMovie, but at that point, I didn't even know you could cut like the words and the and the... And the motion picture separately. It was on my head, so everything looked dreadful. And anyway, I'm sat in the car with Tilly, my spaniel, my trail dog. And I just, I and, and I chatted to Brant Richards about this. He's like, you've got to have a memorable intro, a shtick to start with. I was like, three things. He's like, I was like, right, okay. I was like, there are three things in this van that love single track. Me, Tilly the trail dog, I'm the Santa Cruz chameleon. Just as I turned it round, I had this chameleon on my dashboard as a gimmick. And just as I turned the camera around, it went green. I was like, there you go. It's meant to be. And, you know, that's got 90,000 views left. Wow. And I've had to put a note on it saying, please don't think the rest of them are this bad. They're marginally better because it's ropey as hell. But it's just, it's, I, A, I enjoy doing it. Mm. It's, you know, I remember with Sarah when I was starting doing it, she's like, God, you've never run down to go, look, come and look at this when it's been a written review of a bike. Okay. You know, and I like the extra element. I love it. I love editing. Yeah. You know, people bitch about it massively, but I actually really like doing it. Okay. I like the kind of whole process of like cutting and blending and yeah. going. And also it's much, much easier to do something because trade secret here. If I forget what the head angle is, I've remembered everything. I'll just go, and this 64.5 degree angle, this 65 degree angle, this 64 degree angle, you'll hear it sometimes, you'll pick it up. <laughs> it happens occasionally, but you can just go, oh, what's the change there? Like, is it 427, is it 432, is it 435? Just say all three. And then you've got one in that's yeah, right. Yeah, you've got one yeah. that's right. And you can't do that if you're working with somebody else. Yeah. yeah. Imagine the phone calls that's going to generate. Yeah. Or you're going to go out and it's wrong. But also, because you're working with your material, you know, it's the smell of your own shit. You know, you know where the sweet corn is, isn't it? You know which bits you need to answer. Don't listen to this at breakfast, kids. Uh, but you know where the changes are you need to make. Yeah. It? And it's a lot, you know, the process is quite quick. Uh-huh. And I think the real giveaway is I can do that till three in the morning without realising, whereas if I'm writing now, I'm, my head's bouncing off the keyboard at midnight. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay. uh, you know, it's a restart for me if I'm writing. But there's, it's just, it's just enlivened me. And again, people coming up to me because yeah. on this, I'm a pity me, you know, I'm a look at me girl. You become recognisable as well, right? I mean, in the yeah. magazines, there's less chance to see what you look like. But in these ride reviews that you do, we see your face a lot more, right? Yeah, it's weird because you are in people's, you're literally in people's face. You're on their phone, you're on their yeah. tablet, you're on, God, no, please, Dave, no, they're not good enough to watch on telly. Don't put them on your <laughs> widescreen, for God's sake. Uh, but you know, I need to start recording 4K and uh, that's a lot of memory. Uh, but yeah, it's... It's a real connection, and I love the feedback you get from people like Pete. You know, when you're like, "Oh, why am I bothering?" 
you know, my views haven't been, oh, I could do with more views and stuff. That'd be great. And then she goes, oh, I've watched 20 videos on this bike. And this is, this is just giving me what I needed. This is the real insight. There's one on Friday, you know, from that. And yeah. it's just like, wow. Makes oh, it worthwhile. Yeah. Well, I will go out and film. Yeah. But why not? Yeah. You know, it's just a little box on your chest that I'm riding anyway. I'm testing them anyway. Yeah. You know, it's just when you could create hours and hours of footage. That's the main thing is how much rubbish I could create. I mean, I create a lot as it is, but it's just like, right, okay, make sure there's at least some purpose to this. And I'm diversifying my stuff, hopefully, just trying uh-huh. to, because everybody's trying to find that bit on what, you know, what YouTube will actually engage with. Because it's, it's still really a hobby. Yeah, okay. More than anything else. Yeah. You know, I've been lucky. I've been supported by some people, which has been great. And yeah, you've got a just, Patreon thing going, Yeah, I've right? got a Patreon thing. There's not many of them, bless them, but, you know, it's massively appreciated. Yeah, that's And that's cool. more than YouTube. Okay. But I'll still get more for writing a gravel route guide for Cycling UK than I will for the next three years off YouTube. Right. Even with like 20,000 subscribers and nearly 3 million views overall, which sounds a massive number. You go, I've never worked for a mag with that many subscribers. Yeah. But it's like, well, I haven't watched many, not many of them watched that video I did about that tyre. <laughs> Cheeky buggers. <laughs> but it's like, why would they? You know, and is it, is that because you're not doing it right? Or is it because it needs to be shorter, longer? You know, yeah, maybe people can throw something up in the comments on this. I don't know. Yeah, is it the algorithm? Who knows? You speak yeah. to other guys who are doing it as well, who, you know, are properly going full in on it. I mean, I'm never going to be GMBN. Never no. going to be GCN. Those guys work like absolute dogs to produce that much content of that quality. Yeah, it's full You know, on. Doddy is full. I've worked with Doddy for years. Fantastic guy, but yeah. he's full on. Full on. And, you know, at the end of the day, there's a difference between me, my dog and my van doing it and just around Stainburn. There yeah. is to producing global, you know, content that you're asking thousands and thousands of pounds for. And deserve thousands and thousands of pounds for. Yeah, but that makes it, it makes it more polished, but it doesn't necessarily mean the content is any more valuable. Well, yeah, I'd guess, yeah, it depends entirely, you know, depends in, you know, entirely who your viewers are. You yeah. Know, it's frustrating sometimes. You think, oh, why are they getting, why are they liking, why do people love them more than me? <laughs> when you're like, when that's your natural character setting as a youngest child anyway. <laughs> <laughs> MTV Yum Yum got more views than me on his Yeti video. Yeah, and he didn't, he said he didn't even talk to the designers, like that was a good thing. You know, it's so easy, you know, like anything else, it's really easy to look at what other people are doing. You know? Yeah, that's, that's so tricky, huh? That's the hell of social media, isn't it? Yeah. And then you discover that you can find really, put really, really horrible old 90s metal and punk on reels and that's my new thing you know just like oh look at that you know instant gratification for needy me it's like yay people like jesus built my hot rod by the ministry mint <laughs> oh there's no there's no revolting cocks on here never mind you know oh steel panther it's a cotic i'll do that you know but it's just different yeah you know and it's plate spinning it's always been i mean people say oh what's your career path it's like it's more careering than career always <laughs> right the way through so god knows what'll happen next yeah what 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 are you enjoying more like because you're doing you're still doing a lot of written word you're doing a lot of video work you've got other little projects here and there as well like it does does, does an element of that stand out or, or are you enjoy I, I really enjoy variety? the video i do enjoy the video okay i enjoy it just because it's real god that's real cliche isn't it but I'm not, they're not scripted. Uh-huh. I'll do the basics. You know, I've got the stats in my head before I ride. Yeah. But it's again, like I said, when you go back to the ooh, ah moment, when you're trying to write about it, it's a lot easier when you hit something or the tire goes, or it just drops a drop beautifully. You go, oh, that's it. That, did you feel that? I mean, of course they didn't, 
You know, it's not like Mario Kart on a rattly uh, controller or anything, you know, or a gaming chair. They don't feel it, but that's the moment. You're like, oh, and it's transposed directly onto the trail. Yeah. Which again, you know, having done like riding videos where you're sat on a sofa going, oh, and this is the Scott Spark. You know, it's got this much travel. You know, yes, the sound quality is infinitely better and you can clip, it, clip in some nice riding pictures. But I remember doing the Scott Spark at Interbike for one of the first videos we did for Bike Radar. And I was riding this, I mean, Scott's bike, fairly short travel bike, fairly fragile tyres, bootleg canyon, Vegas, volcanic murder rock. Yeah. With dust, that's, with all the corners smashed to bits by big old dealers who've never ridden the fat bike before, just like <laughs> breaking late, chewing it apart. So final morning, you're trying to fill this Scott's bike. You don't want to smash it because they've got to use it all day. And you're you're literally on the ragged edge coming down a video, you're coming down this contouring trail. Yeah. And you look so slow you look dreadful because basically unless you look like Nikolai Rogatkin's last run even Nikolai Rogatkin's run before doesn't look very good <laughs> you know and then there's the crowning glory I think they put on uh, I think they put I don't know what the soundtrack was it sounded like something from Step Turn Turn or it was vaguely western it was like <laughs> dum da da dum da da I was, I was like cheers lads I nearly died doing that and I look like the most tragic, slow old man going. And then you watch something like Danny Hart's run at Champery. What makes that? I mean, you could, if you, yeah, a credible run, amazing. Yeah. But you could pull Pages and Warner's soundtrack off that and superimpose on a whole load of other runs. It's that soundtrack that makes it. And yeah, that's yeah. really what made me think, point of view. I yeah. don't have to license cheap jazz. I don't have to just look dreadful riding things. <laughs> I'll occasionally do a ride past shot through a puddle or something uh -huh. lifestyle. Yeah. You know, I've never done a wafting fern, like the collect, like a Sterling Rome sort of collect, never, yeah, Sterling Lawrence collective moment. I've never seen you put your goggles on in slow motion. No, no, <laughs> probably I get it wrong. I'm, I'm a bit old for goggles. I did, I did, I do ride them now occasionally. Now it's so dusty because my eyes are a bit squinty. But yeah, no. And it's just, it's direct. And you're genuinely talking to a person about the experience about riding that bike and hopefully giving them a demo of riding that bike with a technical overlay of why it feels like that at that particular moment. Yeah. God, that yeah. was a sudden moment of kind of concise clarity there. It's nice. But yeah, I'm, I'm demo riding for people. Yeah. It's hopefully what I'm doing. And yeah. it's great when you hear feedback from brands who go going, oh yeah, you did that bike. Someone drove from London to the Forest of Dean to our next demo, said, I, I want to ride that bike. Well, that bike's not free. It's like, no, I'll wait for that one. Rode it, bought one, bought one for his wife, drove back again. And they're like, Wow. Or you'll speak, you know, you know, and it's great to work with brands where that makes a real difference for. And it is, yeah. you know, the numbers, and that's the kind of the constant payoff. The numbers aren't massive uh -huh. in the grand, well, even in the non-grand scheme of things. But the number of comments that say, yeah, I watched that and it's tipped me over the edge to buying that bike or I've got one of them and that's exactly why. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the terrible lure that keeps you going on rather than realistically, I'm probably better off spending that time working for Deliveroo. I'd still be riding my bike and it'd be definite, definite income of a high, much higher level. Yeah. 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 It's tricky, isn't it? No, it's good. I don't, I, I don't think there are many people that are reviewing as they ride in that POV style. Are there, there are more now. Okay. There are more now than there were. Yeah. I think that I found one who was doing it before me. Okay. Uh, which I felt a bit guilty about. And, but no, there's a lot of people doing trail guiding stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And and they're do, some of them are doing really well. I'm in a road with BKXC, Brian mm -hmm. Kennedy, cross country. He came over and we did like a road trip, which is ace. Nice. But I think his his ride on Snowden I did with him. 2.7 million views now. Wow. Yeah. 
That's huge. And it was really funny because he'd like never thought of like, you know, I'm an old slag journalist. I was like, right, we're going to Fort William, right, we'll get a gondola pass. We'll email him beforehand. <laughs> We'd like our free gondola pass. He was like, wow, I've never done anything like that before. I'm like, are you joking? You know, I think that video has got like 3 million or something insane. Did that with that Andy McTrail rider. Just like, Crazy. wow. You know, he's like, oh, it's cool. I got a hat. It's like, mate, <laughs> you should be really thinking about this. But then yeah. one other, you know, and he's just, and then, but seeing the level of work that dude did, oh my Lord. Yeah, he never stopped. He was never out of his laptop right. doing stuff. Yeah, just editing and yeah. creating. and All the time. Eating, yeah. chicken nuggets, eating chicken nuggets and editing all the time. But, <laughs> Sounds like the dream. <laughs> so where where do you think bike testing is going then over the next you know let's say the next five to ten years what what format will it be in how do you see it being consumed do you think do you think video is the answer i think you've got to look at parallels with other stuff i think it's very easy to kind of just go oh what's what's in what's happening right in front of me it's like and you you know that was when i realized that magazines were in trouble was when i went to buy a new van or a new car didn't read a magazine, didn't right. randomly pick up auto trader mag or whatever, yeah, or what yeah. car hoping that it had that particular version of the transit custom I was after from that year. <laughs> you know, you go on the internet, don't you? That's how you search on that. Yeah. And, you know, the way that's changed has been dramatic. I remember when the guys from Bike Magic came to us when I was editing Maximum Mountain Bike in very early 2000, I think. No, late, late 99 it was. Okay. I went, we'd like to put our URL on your cover. We were like, what? What's one of those? What the hell's one of them? <laughs> you know, three months later, the magazine's gone bust. I'm working for Bike Magic. <laughs> it's like, uh, okay, that was quick. You know, and I don't, it's it's tricky to know, you know, will it be VR? Yeah. Okay. You know, I was chatting to someone this weekend about how if you go to one kitchen company now, you'll give them your room dimensions and you'll say what you like in your kitchen. And wait, they'll give you a coffee while you sit down and 15 minutes you'll get a VR headset, you'll walk into a room next door and you will go into a kitchen where you can open the cupboards. You know, you can, you know, wow. turn the taps on. You can look out of the window, you know, go, oh, no, I don't like the hob there. Can I have it over there? And they go, oh, right, like that. And the hob's there now. Oh, I like that much more. That's smart. That is, you know, yeah. why are we not thinking about that? Yeah, you know, I remember yeah. there, was, there, was a, there was this, it was a weird name, but Orasma which came out where you could move your phone over a magazine page and it would uh-huh. give you a it would give you a moving picture from that picture. MBK tried wow. it. I remember we did some shots with the Santa Cruz and Joe Rafferty from Hard Rock Enduro. Yeah. Whereas you literally scanned it. It was like a QR code yeah. embedded in the picture. And you got a moving picture in your in your magazine. It was like, ooh. But it's like, well, surely you just want to watch a movie then. So I don't know. I don't know, you know, I don't know how relevant I am. I don't know how relevant what I am. I mean, you've got to cling on to that desperate hope that what you've got is worth something. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, God, I rattle on about it enough, don't I? 25 years. I mean, is that really relevant? Maybe the last three years is relevant. The rest is just old stories. Really? That's experience. It's old isn't it? war stories. Experience counts, yeah. I think. Yeah, but none of the wheels I was riding 25 years ago are still going. Yeah. It's just, an in- it's just an interesting anecdote. You don't want- Do you want to hear about how a forbidden compares to a slingshot? There are parallels in the way that, like, the, you know, the wheelbase expands it's in a different direction or that time that Austrian bloke got spat off a Klein Mantra into a tree because <laughs> it did the weird rocking horse thing because of the indie folk. You know, it's not really relevant. Why, yeah, why no, are you going to buy a Calibre Sentry or a, you know, yeah, yeah, a yeah. Vitus Escarp or something? Yeah. But, you know, it, it does have you a little bit of trade in terms of people who know who you are so they don't question who you are when you ring up for products. 
which has always been bizarre. Actually, I'm amazed that there isn't more kind of. I've only I've only had a couple recently where people have gone. Yeah, well, we don't really talk to strange old men like you. <laughs> and you've kind of had to go, right, who can I CC in to kind of explain that I'm that strange old man yeah. without sounding totally Anchorman about <laughs> this? It's like, no, you're going to sound like Anchorman. Yeah, hey, you know, I used to be kind of a big deal in this industry, you know, when URTs ruled the world, <laughs> you know, and just like, yeah, okay, and you find someone. But it happens a surprisingly small amount. Yeah. And I think, you know, hopefully YouTube's helping with that. Yeah. Maybe I've got the route. And again, going back to where do I see kind of how I'm going with it? You don't know. You know, if you just go, right, well, that's not making me any, it's making me very little direct money compared to how much time I'm putting into it. Do I just chop that off then? It's like, well, no, because you don't know where the next thing's going to come from. And then you get total random things like five years ago, Gary Fisher ringing, uh, mailing you on LinkedIn, just going, Hey, guy, I need to write my book. I'm like, okay, that's nice, Gary. He's like, no, you need to write it for me. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> Gary Fisher, who I've met like five times, you know, who I know is awesome in terms of the stories. You yeah. Know. I'm not going to pass that up, but I have no experience. I like ring a publisher, mate, who've just done some work for Raffle with out of the random and like five years later, we've produced this crazy book. You know, but like, it's, you know, I wouldn't have got that if I was working in Aldi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I wouldn't have learned, you know. And I left the magazines, and that was massive. Leaving the magazines was massive. It's a big I made deal. It, yeah, I, that was Kegsit. It happened about the same time as the first referendum. <laughs> I blew it up. I was like, right, and you know, you're never irreplaceable. However much you write, or however much you get soothing words from people, or however much they try and keep you on. At the end yeah. of the day, it's just like you produce a certain amount of work. Someone, at, someone with in charge sees whether that's value or not. Yeah. And then they, well, there you go. Yeah. You know, they couldn't pay. I couldn't live on what they were paying. They couldn't pay me anymore. Uh-huh. And I got another offer. I ran a bike show for a year, which I learned a lot doing. Yeah. Ground down my teeth a lot, but also, you know, learned that I was quite good at understanding what brands needed and try and drag them on board, even though they never quite signed up. My proposals uh-huh. were good. And I wrote PDF proposals. Yeah. Weird shit like that. It's like, oh, look at me with my new skills. Look at the, <laughs> the old dog go. Uh, so, you know, it's weird. I've always kind of, when you've seen my workshop, it's yeah. not, it's not organized at all. It's a right heap because I'm always onto the next thing. And that's terribly inefficient. Cause I think the six mils somewhere under there <laughs> and I have a better idea than you would believe about where each thing is yeah. just cause I've got that part of my memory. Thank God. And the archeological skills come in a lot <laughs> as well. But the dig in the workshop yeah, trying to find know, stuff. It's, I was thinking about this when you said we were going to do the podcast. I'm like, considering you've spent this long of your life being utterly scathing about minute details and obsessing over them on bikes, you're pretty crap at doing the self, doing the same with your own work process and your own like, you know, making a cold, hard judgment about what you're doing. But then I've been freelance for that long. It's yeah. always been a case of like either going through tearing my ear hair out because there's none other hair left to play with uh, or just like suddenly like too busy. And that's, that's what you always divert to is just being so busy. You kind of can't look over your shoulder. Yeah. It's when you get a moment and go, oh shit, what happens next? And I don't know. Just trust it. Gen- yeah, well, you have to, really. I mean, Sarah's working now, which is good. I mean, we flew on one engine for a ridiculously long amount of time. Uh-huh. But, you know, Sarah looked after it. From a salary point of view, you know, I was I was the one that theoretically earned the money. Sarah right. did all the background work on that. You know, we worked as a team. Uh-huh. And she's an accountant, so okay. we ran a pretty blue flame. Nothing nothing weird went on, but it was very, very efficient. Yeah. And it was great because she's meant 
able to spend, you know, she was meant to spend one year off work, but growing the kids up. Kids were 15 when she went back into full-time nice. education, the youngest one, so it was yeah. brilliant. You know, and I've got that out by basically making three days work out of every day. Right. In terms of cold, hard testing yeah. and process by riding in a pair of old gloves and six pairs of, six pairs of shoes in my bag, you know, on, on two different bikes or making my mate ride another bike and so I can swap over mid-ride and, yeah. you know, and working, I sleep average four or five hours a night. Fair days. You know, that's, I tried six hours. Sarah's, Sarah said I was looking peaky, so she tried to get me sleep for six hours last week. It, I ran out, couldn't do it. Started, slipped up last night. I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm not getting enough done. And I'm no better off. I'm no less chewing at the bit. It's good medication for me. Wow, fair My back, my lab gets seven hours sleep. My back collapses and I'm so, so grumpy about all the things I haven't done. It's not good. (laughs) How did you cope with being injured? Because you were injured recently, right? I ignored it. Okay. (laughs) It's the honest truth. Yeah, I kind of, yeah. I ignored it for about a month. What, what had you done to yourself? I'd snapped my fibula in two places. Okay. Oh, fibula, you don't even it's need only, one. It's like, the, it's like the handrail yeah, on a yeah. granny flat, isn't it? It's not like your tibia. Yeah. It's non-weight supporting. Uh, but weirdly, I don't think my bones feel pain. Okay. I broke my knee in half at Interbike, and I could still, well, knock me, basically split my shin down the centre yeah. and knocked a big chunk of it, about a sort of six-inch long sliver of it down my leg. Pretty serious. Quite serious, yeah. yeah. Reversed brakes. Uh, after being downwind of the Cove bike compound when there was quite a lot of herbal smoke uh, okay. flowing. Uh, classic last ride, last ride of the day. Uh, Dick and Frosanta Cruz had just shown up. Yeah. I was like, oh, you got to do this trail, it's mint. Tomac Eli. Wasn't a great compression uh, set up on it anyway. The shock was a bit dodgy. And reverse brake, so popped out this little compression. Yeah. Uh, grabbed the front brake. Just vaulted the handlebars like you always do. First step yeah. into a small berm. Leg. Completely mm. unflexed. Bang! Ooh, that bloody hurt. Get on, try and pedal. Ooh, that's not going so great. Managed to kind of limp back. Dick was like, mate, you all right? I was like, mm, 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 be fine. <laughs> limp back to the uh, limp back to the compound. Uh, sorry, did you want all this story? Because you get it anyway, <laughs> You're all good. Poor lad. Uh, limp back to the compound. Made friends with the park tool mechanics. Just so I had something to lean on. <laughs> and eventually it got to that stage where I was like, Mate, we're gonna have to put that tool away now. We're gonna have to put that away. I was like, it'll be fine in a minute. It'll be fine. In a minute. Like, mate, we need to pack up now. Sorry, you're gonna have to like stand up on your own. I was like, okay. And I kind of could because most of my knee was still there. So I went to the fire truck, which is what it doubles as an ambulance. Yeah. There. And uh, I just prodded around in my knee, and we're like, they're just looking for a broken kneecap, uh-huh. and there was nothing there, just swollen up. Okay. And they were like, oh, okay. I was like, we could take him into town. I was like, how much is that? And they were like, it's 250 bucks if you open the door. It's another 500 if the light goes on. If the engine starts, that's another 1,000. I was like, mm. I've got holiday insurance. I'm in the middle of a desert at a, the world's biggest international bike show. <laughs> Just happened to be mountain biking here. I don't think that's good. It turns out Future would have covered me on, the, on okay. the, like, the their work insurance, but I didn't know that at the time. So it would be, hi, honey, we're, I'm home. We're living in a trailer forever. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I'll advil it out. So we like got on the shuttle bus back into town, nicked a wheelchair from the first casino we could get to <laughs> and just went around on that. So yeah, it wasn't until I got back, I discovered I'd sort of done exactly the same as what uh, Joe Simpson had done in Touching the Void. Yeah, Which yeah. ironically I'd read flying out there. Oh, nice. Because I, like, I was like, well, he was, you know, he was in agony. He was crippled. It can't be the same thing. Yeah. And, but I stand up every morning. I was, I was rooming with Finn from uh, Full Factory Suspension. He was uh-huh. working at NBK at the time. I 
And they get up over mine and go, look, look, it's fine. And you go, mate. I was like, it's fine as long as I don't wobble. And because I'd wobble onto the broken bit, it's massive. Like, okay, that's a bit sore. Back then, in the wheelchair. And I tell, oh, yeah, back in the And wheelchair in Vegas. The static, mate. The static charge really? you build up. It's like shag pile carpet everywhere <laughs> and brass fittings. So, yeah, poor old Patrick Jocelyn works on. Uh, Road CC and off-road CC, you know, amazed he has children because he was one of my major pushers. He was the guy wheeling me along and regularly he'd just be this horrible, like, Van de Graaff generator crack <laughs> as this massive spark arced across to his to his nethers, poor lad. And we electrocu- electrocuted a granny as well at a buffet because <laughs> he handed me a plate while his tongs were resting on this copper buffet Whoa. and it completed the circuit to this old deer, like, 20 feet away. Oh, amazing. Yeah, I've learned Impressive. a lot about electricity that week. She like properly shrieked and lips in the air. It's, it's fantastic. Learned loads about like people's attitude to you as a disabled person as well. Yeah, that must be it's interesting. It's a real eye-opener. Yeah. Real eye-opener because they just see this kind of pale, very unhealthy looking thing just sort of lolling in a wheelchair because you're smacked out on Advil. Yeah. Not many of my photos came out from that trip. And uh, it's like, you know, oh, kids were pulled away from you or people were just like start talking really slowly wow. to you it's amazing yeah, it was like wow i've been in here like a week but anyway yeah sorry yeah. Just fast forward anyway uh no because it was it was it wasn't weight bearing so i i biked quite a bit it was a month okay. before i went to hospital with it and they only saw one crack oh. and then they saw then i went again because my daughters were like hey you need to go there it should not still be that purple i was like yeah, maybe not. Okay. Yeah, maybe it's not really healing. Oh. So, and it was, I got busted so badly because I went, I went into, I went to see uh, the osteo at Harrogate Hospital. Yeah. He just bought a pace after watching my video. Oh, right. So he knew exactly <laughs> he what knew was going exactly on. exactly what I'd been doing. I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, he's like, right, let's be realistic about this and what you should and shouldn't be doing. Well, at least um, he understands. Yeah. He was like, yeah, like gravel bike. I was like, it's probably the worst thing you could say to me, to be honest, because that's even more vibrant. It was very, it was a very good low, low, uh, low speed compression uh, gauge okay. for a while. Yeah, but yeah, it seems to be all right now. So did a specialised launch on it up in Inalithan. Yeah, that was quite ah for the stumpy. Though. Yeah, stumpy. I was no, I was going to miss that. That was the first. It was how Georgia and Grace and people and Neon got that launch together threaded it through the eye of the needle of COVID. Yeah. All beautifully done, you know, all socially distanced. Yeah. Brilliant. Great yeah, launch. Nice. Great product. Super Stump Jumper Evo. Great bike. Really glad I went up there. Yeah, that is a bike I'd like to throw but, a leg over for a bit, for yeah, sure. Yeah, throwing yourself down the steep a bit of Inalethan was careless at times. There <laughs> was a couple of bits on the brake and puts the bottom. I was like, yeah, yeah, this is back in the plastic boot tonight. <laughs> back in the plastic boot. I made, I made sure I was on brand, though. I, I cut... Sp- I, uh, I... I had some special, like the, the stickers you get with specialised bikes, yeah. you know, the logos and the, so I cut, I cut specialised out and put special needs <laughs> on my plastic boots just so people knew to be careful of me. But, but yeah, it seems to have gone on all right. I mean, again, just, I'm not a great rider. I'm very adaptable. I can ride a lot of bikes adequately very quickly. Okay. Uh, physically, I'm no great specimen, but I'm, I've used, this has been quoted so many times, but Dave Smith, great coach. One of the first things I did when I got onto MBR was do a coaching feature with him. Uh-huh. And, you know, he, he came down, chatted to me, looked at me, race results, and said, what I ate. And I thought he put me on like a hoover pipe for the blow test and everything, but he just looked at me and went, yeah, 
you're not a thoroughbred. Because I wanted to train for this specific single speed race at Jellyman. You're not a thoroughbred, but I can make you a fast donkey. Oh, nice. <laughs> I was like, oh. And then I think, hang on, I'm like 24, 25. And it'd be dreadful if you'd gone, mate, what's going to be going on? You've like got the heart of an Olympic athlete. You know, how have you just, are you unlucky in races? Do you just not try very hard? Yeah, it's true. like, actually, you know, it's like, let me guess, you're kind of competitive locally. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, that'll do. You know, so yeah, that's been great. And it was interesting, I'd, again, just random things you hear and pick up a self-justification. I can remember... Uh, Sorry, dog's come in now. <laughs> Say hello to Finley on the mic if you can hear him. But uh, hearing Bruce Springsteen going, yeah, but it's not, I haven't got a great voice, but it's never let me down. <laughs> you know, it just keeps on going and going and going. And that's kind of it, really. It's yeah. funny you see your peers kind of, I mean, there's a few of us old buggers who refuse to die. But there's a lot of people, you know, used to be proper athletes back in the day. And you've kind of, you've watched their ramp go past you and you've chugged along mediocrely in the yeah. sense you know they're like the they, you know they used to be the hot pro bmx and now they're like you know they've been working in marketing 20 years and that's that's quite a few free meals yeah or, slowed them down a bit yeah and he's just like yeah it's weird you know and at the end of the day i'm still you know each year you're kind of like oh am i going to be the wrong side of the strava line this year am i going to start losing time it's like mm, not quite yet interesting but you know, just keep cracking on. The technology helps the, as well, I think. Like, I've, Oh, absolutely. I've yeah. got quicker and it's not, I'm definitely not consistently improving as a rider or getting fitter. But I think the kit is enabling me to go faster year on year on the whole. Yeah, absolutely. But then then you get into interesting, again, just going back to the testing thing, into, you know, the one thing that's coming up more and more at the moment, again, speaking like Chris Hilton on your podcast, mm. going about like, yeah, yeah, not many racers actually ride super long bikes. Yeah, yeah. Well, they don't need to because they're really, really agile, good bike handlers. Yeah. The people who need that stability and need that kind of calming influence are great. Long, slack, low bike is great. It's a real, you know, again, it's just dumbing it down. It's anesthetizing yeah. the experience to the level that you can cope with, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, it's like riding at night. People don't go faster or slower because they've got different lights. You know, you know, it's just like some people are fast, some people are slow. Yeah. You know, and that's, and a bike will only ever be a modifier. Yes. As part of that. But yeah, undoubtedly. Yeah. You know, it's like I was riding a super lightweight Merida cross country bike and it's a Merida 96. So uh -huh. I thought just for a laugh, I'll, I'll do 96K on it as the first ride. Got out over onto the Dales and it snowed quite heavily. So I was like, <laughs> right, well, that's that's out of the bag. And then I was like looking at the times, just going, still on actually, still on it, you know, warmed up a bit. I was like, I used to, we used to do this ride, you know, used to drag everybody up from the south on the Brass Monkey ride. Yeah. To basically abuse the southerners. They come up from Brighton and we go, this is proper riding, lad. This is, yeah, it's proper hard northern greatness. And uh, yeah, we do part of that lap from the pub at Apple Tree Week. Yeah. And loop around, it would be, oh, we'd be in bits by the end. We'd be in hard tails and maybe a, a proto suspension. Like, we'd be ruined. I remember when Steve Wallen came and did it on 29. We're like, oh, that's the thing then. <laughs> you know, early inbred and just yeah. vanished. Uh, but mostly it was just like, hang on, I'm out here. I've ridden out here. I've ridden the loop. I've ridden back. And I'm fine. In the snow. In the snow. Yeah. You know, like two, three degrees. And yeah, this bike's incredible. Yeah, the, you know, I've maybe changed this bit. I'm not quite sure about that, but that gift it's given me. And then then before you even had on e-bikes and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, yeah, definitely. Technology, it's amazing. It's progressing at a rate, isn't it? For yeah, sure. which is great. Yeah. Because otherwise we'd have, I've had bugger all to write about. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this is very true. So yeah, with all, with all that experience behind you, what advice would you give to people who wanted to get into the bike industry, maybe into the testing side of things? Oof. Ride loads of different bikes. Steal bikes off your mates. Just keep borrowing them. Just and switch switch bits. You yeah. Know, just become irritatingly magpie-ish. <laughs> you know, that's when I first started realizing the difference between bikes was just doing customer setup rides okay. out of Richard's bikes. Yeah. Or cycle works, just riding around the block, riding around the car park and going, Oh, that's very different. Oh, why is that different? And if it'll interest you, it interests you. You know. And just I mean, that's the great thing now. You can put your own stuff out there, you know. Your yeah. swines with your POV YouTube channels. <laughs> you can, uh, yes, so many more ways of getting easy stuff to, out of it. to yeah, do stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And, and cheap. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Just start doing it. Start trying it. You might yeah. like it. You might not. The barrier of entry is a hell of a lot lower. Yeah. I got very lucky. You know, I probably one of the last people to get pulled up on the traditional ladder, really. There's a few. It's probably a second generation after that. Yeah. There's, there's not a few many. more people coming through, isn't there? But yeah, you're right. It's not the same entry path as it was no because sure yeah i mean there was there was definitely a block of us i was yeah. actually late onto that bandwagon to be right. fair a lot of people think i've been kind of like doing it for a bit longer than i have uh-huh. but like steve Walland and people and paul bill were already doing it before me yeah and so were danny and alan on yeah mbr i think they're a couple of years before me okay you know so but then you know that's that's the 90s it's a long time ago now you know yeah. and it's and it's great that those guys are still as passionate you know, you see them doing the YouTube videos. It's brilliant. You know, they're fully into it. But then you've got people who just started, like Rob, Rob rides EMTB. Yeah. I think his, his has been such a fascinating, genuine journey. You can see it, you know, from kind of just having the massive enthusiasm and the presenting skills and his stuff looks amazing. But he, damn, he puts the work in. You know, if there's a press launch, he's like literally out there at 5 a.m. in the morning flying a drone around for the static shots. I'm putting my teeth, you know, tongue between my teeth going, oh, hang on, right, I'll try and hold the camera steady with my GoPro, you know. You know, that guy is pro. And watching his journey is very, very, and because it's been, because he's done e-bikes. Yeah. And he got in there early, fair credit, he saw that, yeah. boom. Everybody's like, mm, not sure about e-bikes, you get a load of hate on the comments. He's doing it brilliant. And he's doing, because he's genuine to the content. Yeah. He's doing that really, really well because you, you know, you've watched early videos. You're not sure about what you said about that fork, mate. I really, ooh. But now he's like, oh yeah, I used to think this fork was like this. And now, but he's now, yeah, he's really informed on the product. He's got more context. Yeah. And, you know, just, yeah, there's loads of examples to do it, but just ride a ton. Ride, read everything you can. Don't believe everything, but read it anyway. Yeah. Watch for patterns, develop your own voice. Because at the end of the day, that's it. You're, you will always be a projection of what you think of that bike and you will have a bandwidth of relevance. Mm. And I guess, you know, that's certainly shifted. You know, like I used to be a downhiller right. when downhilling involved taking your bar ends off your rigid mountain bike. <laughs> you, know, you know, I was racing, you know, Steve Pete on downhills yeah. when he was at Langsett Cycles in, you know, the early 90s. Yeah, because we were on the same course. I was riding a tandem some uh-huh. of the time, being a complete idiot. But, you know, there wasn't that much difference now. Now it's quantum leap apart. Yeah. You know, and I can test a 180 mil travel bike in the way I ride it. Uh-huh. But if I want to know how it really works, I'll give it to someone who's going to send it 40 feet. You know, and again, I'm not, so I won't, I'll gravitate away from that. Okay. If I have to, I'll test it. 
and yeah. I can still produce a competent review uh-huh. on a Zeb or something like that or a 38, but yeah. I'm not really. But give me a Sid. Give me a 35 mil length Sid aggro fork or a down country bike. Oh, down country. <laughs> he said down country on the downtime podcast. Down with him. Uh, it's just like, you know, that I'm totally into. Okay. You know? yeah. The gravel I quite like as uh-huh. well, even though it's just shit mountain bike cross country really. But it's not because you've got a drop handlebar and that weirdly plays with your head. So something is cool and quite exciting again. Yeah. But yeah, and you just, yeah, just find, find what you like doing. Be comfortable um, in your niche. Yeah. And I know guys, there are guys who talk to me and gone, right, I really want to do what you're doing. How do I do it? And I'm like, right, I'll just start doing it. Because yeah. it's a bit crap, actually. There's a lot of people who start doing it and realise there's quite a lot involved, especially if you're trying to do it alongside other stuff. I've been lucky to be able to do it fully pro. It's yeah. all I do. Yeah. So if someone knocks on the door to drop something off, I'm here and I have a workshop to deal with it in, yeah, you yeah. know, and I've got other stuff I could do when I'm waiting for a courier who never turns up to pick up a bike and all that kind of thing. But that's a big drain otherwise. And there's a lot of admin and you yeah. always have to ride the worst bikes most. Always. And that's not just because when you start, people people from magazines or websites will go, you can have this one. So <laughs> it's because they're the ones that need more working out. Yeah, okay. There's nothing more crushing than riding a brilliant bike. Yeah. You know, because, you know, I remember riding a Curtis XR650 cross mm-hmm. uh, full suspension bike. And like, the story there was it was beautifully built and rode beautifully and the steel had been chosen perfectly for the bike. Geometry was a bit off. Yeah. I'd maybe change the shock tune. Irrelevant. Because it's a custom bike. I, th- I rode that so little. There was another bike on the test and I just had to ride it and ride it and ride it and ride it because it was like playing Buckaroo. I was just trying to stay on it. I think I, more profanities were spoken riding that bike. <laughs> And it's just like, but that's the one I had to spend time on because yeah. I had to be, I had to explore everything. You know, you have to. Yeah, you got to work it out. Yeah, because sometimes you get people ring up going, what on earth are you riding in this setting? It's like, oh, don't worry, I didn't mostly ride it in that setting. I was just like where I got to in the end. <laughs> yeah. You know, just to check, you know, because that's more, because like I say, like you say, things are so much better now. It's a rarity. It's a treat yeah. when something's a bit rubbish yeah. in just one aspect because it proves that you're not just going up 4.5, 4.5 all the time. You're not just like, oh, everything's brilliant. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a danger with the way I do it. Like, I'm mountain biking, it's brilliant. In the way that, dirt, you know, Jonesy on dirt. I rode a bike up a hill. I pushed it up a hill. I came down, it was bloody brilliant. It was a mountain biking. Going down, it was fantastic. I loved it. You know, fantastic. You know, that enthusiasm, that's what made dirt brilliant. Yeah. That's what made Jonesy brilliant. Yeah. Epic guy. Epic dude. But, you know, if I'm just like, oh, I'm not really sure about this. I mean, sometimes you get it. There are some videos you watch of mine where you're like, oh, all right, yeah, he really, yeah, this was vanilla at best. Yeah. But there's very few now. There isn't a positive aspect, even if it's just price. I mean, it's hard to bring across. But, you know, and again, I hope that, you know, it's just that genuine nature. Be ge- well, that's the bottom line, be genuine. Yeah, be genuine. Don't, don't, every, everything boils down that. As a parent, that's what you kind of need to. And my kids have pretty much grown up now. They're proper, you know, they're good, strong, independent women. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, just be yourself. Be your damn self, wherever, yeah. whatever you're doing. It's hard to be someone else other than yourself. So you, if you're going to do <sighs> that so for a living, much pressure not be hard to be. work, eh? Yeah. There is, yeah, a, yeah exactly. you're right. Yeah, there yeah, is a lot yeah. of pressure not to be yeah. often, or you, f- you can feel a lot of pressure not to be yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's quite funny. You know, the first thing I, I did this morning was I've watched up around my mates and went, right, you listen to podcasts. What are the things I need not to talk about? <laughs> How do I, I'm going to look like a right needy little frantic bugger anyway. That's a given. But, you know, 
So what, you know, what do I avoid? And they're just like, oh, just be yourself. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, whatever you want to do, whether it's in the bike industry, I think Chris Hilton, when he was on, said something very interesting. He's like, you know, bike, bike companies need accountants. So if your passion is accountancy. Yeah. In my passion, I guess, that brought me into mountain biking was, A, I love mountain biking, I love being outside, but I loved comparing figures. You know, weirdly, I'd never put myself down as a statistician, but in some ways that's what exactly what I am. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I'm making a value judgment on a fork or a, you know, or a wheel or, you know, I've, it's like a graphic equaliser when you're putting a group test together. You can move all the different sliders up and down until you're like, right, I'm happy. That's the end pitch. Yeah. I think I've valued that appropriately. Or, yeah. oh, how much is a lifetime warranty in a score? Well, I don't know. You know, a tyre, having a crap tyre on a £6,000 bike, it's annoying, but it's yeah. tragic. Having one on a 500 good bike, well, suddenly that's 10% of the cost of the bike if you need to change it. Yeah, it's a big deal. You know, yeah. and though, again, those are the guys that matter because those are the guys that have a crap 500-pound bike, sitting mountain biking, not doing that, it's rubbish. Yeah. If they buy a 5,000-pound bike, they've arguably come from a 3,000 bike, they'll probably just get another 5,000. I don't like it. You know, I don't like that bike. I'll get this bike. Yeah. You're not going to put them off mountain biking at that yeah, stage. They're, already in. they're probably already in. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, just be great to see more people. Yeah. Definitely. Would be great. Yeah. Yeah. It's always good to have fresh voices and different opinions. And yeah, as much as, as much as it's uncomfortable moving, you know, moving your chair up at the table to let more people in. That's how we move on, isn't it? It is. Yeah. You know, sure. and that's what sharpens your game up as well. Yeah. That's, that's the key thing, you know, the co op. For introducing fresh blood in for Lance Armstrong. No, you're better. <laughs> didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, that's it. You know, bring it in. Yeah. You know. Good stuff. Make, make, you know, new media, new ways of looking at things. Maybe yeah. someone will produce a VR bike test soon. Who knows? Be amazing. Watch this space. Yeah. Cool. I'll we should stand in my front room with a stick in my hands. That's right. I've got, yeah. <laughs> quick, we should, me We up. should start wrapping up because then we can go for a little, little spin. Um, yeah, final four questions that we, we ask everyone. The first of those. I researched two of these. Did you? Yeah, I think If so. our listeners had £150 to improve their performance on a bike, what should they go and spend it on? Lights. Okay. Because newer lights are better or because night riding is a good thing to do? Night riding's ace. And because it's, for most of the year in the UK, if you're going for a decent ride, at least some of it will be in the dark unless it's at the weekend. Yeah. And weekend time gets hoovered up by other people. As long as you do your chores when you go back or before you go out, nighttime riding is a lot easier to get away with. Uh -huh. And you can get a good set of lights now for 100 quid. Go on then, where would you, what would you get oh, out of the current? Do you know, it's weird because I was talking earlier about how it massively like ramped up. Yeah. Now it's just fallen off. Okay. Nobody's really doing anything with lights anymore. Interesting. There's one company, there's Glowworm I use, right. who are good, yeah. really good New Zealand company. But otherwise... Just like it's plateaued, okay. so I don't know if that's not people not buying lights, or everyone's just buying them off eBay or Magic Shine or something like that. Because yeah. Chinese lights are brilliant now. Okay, that's the, that's the thing. Yeah, you know, you don't need to buy some fancy, and a thousand lumens is enough. Yeah, as long as it doesn't catch fire, as long as you have a vague idea how long it's going to last. Yeah, that sounds good but, to me. And also, it's like it's like the gravel biking of your eyes. You know, suddenly all those trails are dead exciting again. It it definitely livens up. The yeah. dollar trails for sure, where yeah. you can't see things properly and can't see what I, what's over that little exactly, lip or yeah. ledge. And, or, and, yeah. Oh, yeah, get a get, uh, hundred quid for your bar light and fifty mm -hmm. quid for a helmet light, okay. so you can see a little bit over the car. Right. And yeah. so you got a backup if that one dies. Yeah, 
And yeah, just the amount of riding up that, that'll open up for you. Nice. And also it's that kind of riding where you're making last minute saves, not quite understanding what terrain riding is, that really polishes skills as well. Yeah, true. Yeah. Nice. I like it. That's a, That's my alternative a unique one. answer and I like it. Yeah. That's the one I thought about. All Goes right. downhill from here. <laughs> Second question. If you could wind back the clock and sit down with yourself age 16, what advice would you give him? Oh, crikey. Uh, keep those clogs with the chain metal on because they were funny. Uh, no. Uh, oh, I should say something like meaningful, like believe in yourself more, but I, I, I still don't believe in myself. <laughs> I'm still quite sketchy on that one. Yeah. Just don't worry about Just be yourself. Just be yourself. You can never predict what will happen. Don't try and plan stuff. Yeah. Just keep keep your options open. Keep yeah. your head up. It's like riding your bike. Keep your head up. Yeah. Keep looking at the different lines. Don't stare at your front wheel. The minute you stare at your front wheel, you're coming off. Whether you're climbing or descending, the minute your attention gets drawn into that contact point on the tyre, that's where your face is going to end up. Yeah. Keep your head up. And yeah. Keep putting the head up, power down. Don't miss the opportunity. Yeah. Go fast. <laughs> Go fast, pull up. Maybe that's it. If I was more rad. <laughs> just send If up. I was rad. But as, as Steve Wall and <laughs> said, I'm more of a sweater. No, what is it? More of a sweater than a jumper. <laughs> that's a great phrase. I like that. That's a good one. All right, third question. If you could have a coaching session from anyone past or present, who would it be and what would you want to learn? Because you've had the chance to arrive with a lot of big names, I suspect, over the years. Uh, not so much. It's weird. No. I've always been like, it's like, I've always been too busy testing. Okay. I've had my head in the pig bin too closely. Uh, who would I love to ride with? I mean, I've been, I've been great riding with some people, but Julio, I think. Mm. I think I've met him very briefly. He seemed like a really, really cool guy. Yeah. And yeah, just because just because what he was so far ahead with so much stuff. I'm not saying he'd be the best teacher, but I think he'd be very, very inspiring. He'd be very interesting to talk to. Yeah. 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 Yeah, definitely. Cool. Final question. What do you do every day that you feel benefits you? Breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. Big breakfast. Several. Okay, generally, multiple breakfasts. Multiple breakfasts, yeah. It's generally an initial breakfast, then like an 11s, is, which is more like a 10, and then not quite lunch yet. Yeah, there's a lot goes down my neck yeah. uh, early in the morning. And it I mystifies me that people can get up and start moving. I've started, because Craigie, I was chatting to Nick Craig, and he said yoga. Yeah. So I've started doing that, actually. Uh, okay. In the idea that I, I was going to do like stretching mornings and strength mornings. That yeah. was me planning my head. This was only two weeks ago. This was all to do with you know, sleeping more as well. Okay. Uh, but I have to say the, the yoga thing is quite good. I'm not working mm-hmm. as much on the stretching thing because I'm just keep because I need to. So there's there's more of a draft up my sleeves than there used to be, <laughs> and I've always been the same weight. But I think more of it's in my beard now than in my <laughs> biceps. So Nick Craig seems to be doing all right. So yeah, yeah. If he says yeah. yoga's a good thing, yeah. Nick Craig, yeah. Nick rides like a ghost. I ride more like a poltergeist. <laughs> just like throwing stuff around all over the place. But yeah, no. I was quite. Inter- I was amazed how much difference it made. Just not so much the being relaxed and stretching and stuff, just kind of the approach, the positive approach. That sounds really kind of surprising for me. I'm surprised okay. I'm admitting this, but made me feel quite calm and nice. Yeah, it's a good start, a good helps, positive start to the day. Helps yeah. calm your mind because, like you said, your mind's always pretty, uh, yeah, pretty active. You find it oh, slows so. things down a bit. Yeah, it does actually. Okay. I'm surprised. And this morning I tried. I thought, oh, I can't be able to put YouTube on. I'll do some stretching, light yoga. Yeah. I just did me back in. I was still as frantic as ever. Okay. I can't be trusted. Again, it's another thing, you know, try to take me out of my mind. Do someone else take charge for a yeah. bit. Just so put you, me on you'll pop pilot. a bit of YouTube on to do it. Yeah. That's where you get it from. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm, nice. She's a worrying mission because my wife's always told me to do it. And 
know, so you don't like to admit those things, but maybe. Yeah, they're often right. Aren't oh, they? and not too sugary on the breakfast. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not good on sugar. No, that's that's a whole load of spikes. Think sine waves rather than sp- spikes <laughs> for your nutrition. But eat what you want, I would say. Yeah. Because your body will eat it. You'll get round to eat it anyway. It's like a dog with something left on the table. <laughs> You'll eat three apples, a bit of salad, and you'll still go back and have that cold fish finger or whatever, <laughs> that leftover curry. So you may as well just cut straight to the chase yeah. rather than eating double in the, at the end of it. So I know what you mean. Cool. It's been very interesting and enlightening finding out a bit more about you and your life in testing so far. Um, if people want to find out more, where, where are the best places for them to head? Because there's a few places to consume what you're putting out there. Yeah, uh, bikeperfect.com. Uh, yep. Uh, is where mountain bike and gravel goes. I do a bit for cycling news as well on mm. the road side of things. Uh, really fortunate to work with those guys. That's a really, people, not many people might have heard of it yet, but it's a really fast growing website. Okay. Great team on it. Yeah. Really nice attitude to it. And, nice. Uh, and yeah, and Guy Kes TV on YouTube and awesome. Instagram. Yeah, cool. We'll put some links in the show notes so people can find those. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, thank you. It's been uh, It's been a pleasure to hang out for a bit and chat and the sun is still out. It's Yorkshire. Of course the sun's still out. Nobody see the Road World Championships. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that. And, uh, yeah, then we can head out for a little spin. Yeah, fantastic. Chris, thanks so much. It's been great. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thanks for being my therapist. So. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> Cheers, guy. Cheers, mate. All right, that's it for this episode with Guy. I really hope you've enjoyed listening. A massive thanks to Nukeproof for supporting this episode of the show. If you want to check out their awesome new range of rideware, then head over to nukeproof.com at the end of this week when the launch will go live. Also, a big thank you to Kushkor. If you want to try tyre inserts, then Kushkor are the ones, as they really will enable you to go bigger, corner harder and ride faster with total confidence. Head over to kushkor.com to check them out or silverfish-uk.com if you're based in the UK. If you want to be in with a chance of winning a mega prize bundle from Nukeproof and Kushcore, then all you need to do is to spend a couple of minutes helping me out by filling in my 2021 listener survey before the end of May. You can do that by heading to downtimepodcast.com forward slash survey. All the links are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. If you fancy representing the show, then you can get your hands on our brand new spring summer 2021 merch by heading over to downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop with all the proceeds going to help improve the podcast. All right, you know what to do. Please keep on spreading the word about the show. Tell your rider mates, share the episodes on your social media. It all makes a massive difference and it helps me keep this thing going. If you've got a couple of minutes, then I'd really appreciate a review on iTunes too. All right, we've got another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until then, get out and ride. (laughs) 